Hey, welcome to the 283rd episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is a podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And we're currently looking back at 1999's X-Men The Hidden Years by John Byrne. So really cool to just to revisit the series. I think I've only read it once. So just it's good to see how it holds up. Sometimes I talk about movies, sometimes I do off my mind, random topics, and so forth. But if you cannot commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gmanfromheck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or seven, <laughs> and that is ko-fi.com slash gmanfromheck. All right, what is going to happen this week? Uh, change, totally change the plans. When I was talking about what the main feature was last week, I, I, I think I may have said this movie called Fear. I do still want to see it. I don't know if it's going to happen. There's also that movie Missing, which I didn't get around to see that. That's probably going to have to go to a secret uh, podcast episode at, at a future date. But this week's main feature is Infinity Pool. So, oh my goodness, I have things to say about this movie. It's a... Uh, uh, directed by uh, David Cronenberg's son, which I didn't even realize he had a son. I'm so out of the loop, and and I didn't realize he was a director. And oh, it was amazing the direction and the cinematography and everything like that. Has Alex, Alexander Skarsgård? I get the Skarsgårds mixed up, and uh, Mia Goth. And uh, check out the trailer. It's 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 something. I also watched this movie called There's Something Wrong with the Children. And it has a uh, Matt. Is it Matt Sarenson from Friday Night Lights? Uh, what's it? I forget his name too. Guilford, um, Zach Guilford. I think that's his name. So you can hear about that. Um, and then I almost skipped out on Velma this week. I was like, "There's just too much. I'm not gonna have time to watch it. I can't barely read all the comics. I plowed through them." So I'm gonna try to do just like a briefer uh, recap on, on the two episodes of Velma since they insist on dropping two a week. Then there's National Treasure, there's Star Wars: The Bad Batch, uh, Last of Us, and Servant, comics, and the news. So the first thing, uh, The Last of Us, there, there was some talk earlier in the week, like, is, is it going to have a second season? Some people are like, maybe it is. It, it is. It has been renewed for season two. And this is what I like. I mean, it seems like a no-brainer. If you know, if you, I'm going to only talk about the first two or for second episode this week. But if, if you watch it, it's, it's a great show, and it's it's got great um, ratings and everything. And, and, yeah, maybe it's still early. You know, it could drop off, but it's it probably won't. I mean, there's the consistency is probably there. You know, people love the game. And so I'm glad that they're like, yeah, it, there's going to be a season two. You know, they, they're they committed to it. They're going to do it. Maybe um, try to make it happen before the season's even over. You know, why wait? So hopefully there will be less of a, a break, a gap between season one and two. But it's, it's just I, I keep going back to like Wednesday. It took so long to get confirmation that season two was was happening. That's the thing with with Netflix is like you never know. There's you know, I feel like a lot of people are kind of joking. It's like, oh, I don't want to watch this show because it's probably going to get canceled. And it seems like a lot of shows are going to get canceled. And I think just recently, I didn't read the specifics of it, but I, I think the Netflix CEO or someone said that they've never canceled a successful show. 
And that that could be. We hear a lot of grumblings like the Warrior Nun. What's what's that? You know, just all these different shows. And you know, I I've watched you know the, the last Resident Evil gets canceled. And yeah, it wasn't a great great show. So a lot of times, you know, we get committed and then there's this, you know, vocal, you know, minority that may be, you know, vocal, hence the word. And we get upset when these shows that we watch get canceled. And but it's possible that maybe not everyone is watching it. And it's, it's just a handful of people or, you know, several handfuls of people are, are talking about it. And that's just doesn't amount to the same thing. These shows cost a lot of money. So, you know, there, there has to be some line of how many views or pro- profitability and all that. But then you also look at like with with uh, the Sandman, they they realize, I think, that people weren't binging the Sandman. I think people really wanted to savor it or just consume it at a slower pace. That's how I prefer it, not just because of the podcast. I, I don't want to just plow through it and forget things. I want to be able to think about things from week to week and like, holy crap, that what's going to happen next? When you're just going boom, 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 it's like you have no time to really sit and process a cliffhanger. And I, I think that that makes a, a big difference. And when people aren't talking about it from week to week, you don't build up that buzz. It, it's almost like you know whoever watches a show as it drops, they're going to talk about it, but then that's it. So if someone was sick from work that that day or whatever they miss out on all the talk and then they're like wait what what do you what show are you talking about i don't even think about that so i don't know but with uh last of us is going to happen so so that's good i'm glad that keep the momentum going you know get us excited and and that may make some people like oh i guess i can start watching it now because there is going to be a season two and and i don't know how many people are hesitant but with a midnight club on on netflix I wasn't able to watch that when it first came out just because there's so much. I started watching it. I think I only watched two episodes and then I heard it got canceled. So now it's like, well, do I finish watching it? You know, I'm, I'm semi invested. You know, it, it may not be the absolute, you know, best show ever made that I've ever watched, but I was interested enough. But now that I know there's going to be no like resolution or conclusion or whatever, I don't know if I want to take the time. You know, it, it gets put on the back burner. Maybe someday I will, but I, I, I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> moving on. Uh, speaking of things getting canceled, Titans and Doom Patrol, th- th- this is, shouldn't be a shock to anyone. I, I kind of suspected this as well. I think many people did. Uh, Titans and Doom Patrol will be ending after the fourth seasons. And they're both going to have proper endings. There's going to be no cliffhanger. All the characters will have like resolutions and stuff like that. It's a bummer. It it sucks, but it kind of made sense. I'm kind of surprised that they've lasted this long. You know, I don't know what the ratings were. Both of these shows started out on on the you know the DC app, and then they moved to HBO Max, and then you know they're exclusive there. And of course, everyone's like, it's like, oh, James Gunn and Peter Safran, is that a scene? They're canceling everything or anything. But like James Gunn's like, uh, those cancellations were made before we got here. So like I said, I'm sure it, it was written on the wall or whatever. It's too bad because I, I feel like, especially with Doom Patrol, and I, I've said this before, you know, as I, I wa- talk about the show, it, it's like one of my favorite DC shows. I, I, I think it's the best DC show because it's just, it's so ambitious and it, it, it takes huge risks and it doesn't shy away. And I, I think part of the reason they can do that is because it's, they're su- dealing with such, such obscure characters that it doesn't matter what they do. And not, not that they're like reinventing everything or, or, you know, just changing stuff. But 
I think there's just more, I don't know, there's more room to just work with it versus, you know, something like you do a Batman show, you're gonna be so constricted with what, what you can get away with. And so we'll see. And uh, both shows are like, they, they showed half the seasons and then there, there's still no date when they're going to show the rest, but we still have half a season of both shows. So, um, but part of me is like, Oh, should I bother covering it? If it's any, I, I will still cover both of them because I, I want to, and I, I think it's, it'd be a shame not, not to um, cover those. There was a, another trailer for Shazam, uh, Fury of the Gods. And, you know, there's just talk about like the evil gods coming, you know, they, they must annihilate everything like that. They're the daughters of Atlas, and I guess they're coming for the Shazam family. They're claiming that children stole the powers of the gods and, and all this stuff. So there's your, your, your attention and everything. And it looks like, like uh, Shazam, Billy Batson, you know, he's going to be taking out, I don't know if he's taking the power, or if the other people are losing their powers, or I don't know if he's gaining their powers and they're adding to him, but it looks like he's taking them all on himself at some point, or at one point, and it kind of looks like he's almost wearing like a Black Adam costume because he gets a little charred or something like that. So I don't know if that's intentional or, or what, if it's it's symbolic for anything, I don't know, but um, I, I'm excited for that movie. I, wanna, I, I do want to want to see that. And Will there ever be a Shazam three? Probably not. You know, if, if we're being serious, I would like to see more, but we'll we'll see how how it goes. One of the things that I thought was super cool with with this trailer is at the end there was a, a comic ad. You know, they they show like the three three covers of you know of trades, and it's like read it where it all began, and it's like you know lo- locate your local comic store or read them on you know shop dc whatever the, the url is so i thought it was really cool that they they do that they should do that dc has done that in the past from time to time i really think that they should try to push the comics i mean why not it's the same company you know it's it's all owned you know maybe you know warner brothers and dc you know they're different divisions and all that and they don't talk to each other necessarily but it seems like there should be more because it, it all goes into Warner Brothers overall pocket. So why not try to generate more revenue? I don't know. There was another trailer for 65. That's an Adam Driver movie where he, he he's piloting a ship or in charge of a ship. It crash lands on a planet. There's only him and a girl to survive. So he has to protect her. But it looks like, you know, the 65 is, did they crash 65 million years ago? So that, that was my thing. It's like, is does this take place in the past and they crash on Earth, and that's the beginning of civilization, whatever. Or are they in the future and somehow go through some time warp? I think it's more that. I don't remember if I actually read something after I saw the first trailer. But that's going to come out on March 17th. But I think something else was coming out that same day. So I don't know if, if I'll be watching 65 or not. I, I'm, I am interested in that. Uh, back to DC, Michael Cudlitz is going to be the new Lex Luthor. So you're probably familiar with him from uh, The Walking Dead. I forget who, the character, whose name. It, I'm so far behind on The Walking Dead. It's not even funny. But uh, he's supposed to be like a dark, more sinister Lex Luthor. So uh, you know, he's not going to be messing around. John Cryer endorsed him. You know, he's he's excited. He said this is sounds like fun. You know, the the, the version he's going to be be playing. So that that, that was really nice. And uh, the thing with you know John Cryer knew was happening. 
they were gracious enough to contact, hey, we're, we're going with a new, in a new direction with Lex just to let you know. And he's like, that's totally fine. I get it. I mean, that's what he said. He, maybe he's bummed. He is busy. He has uh, you know, other commitments. So he was like, that's fine. You know, I'm not going to be like hurting for a, a job. He has something, you know, going. So we'll see. I, I, I'm excited to see where, where that's going to go. Tomb Raider. Uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is apparently, I, I saw some different reports on this. Uh, I think she's writing a Tomb Raider series at Amazon. One headline I saw was it was like she was writing a movie, but I believe it's a series. And I saw something else saying, saying it's, it's supposed to be like uh, MCU style universe. I don't know how you could do a Tomb Raider universe. I mean, what other characters are there? But Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I'm trying. I didn't have a chance to look. Like, who is she? Name sounds so familiar. I know uh, she's a creator, writer, and she was in a, a the BBC's Fleabag. I think she's done some other stuff. I think. I think. Did I see that she did like a script polish on a, one of the James Bond movies? I don't know if it was Quantum of Solace or something. I don't know. But, and the other thing, um, it's not clear if Phoebe Waller-Bridge plans on starring as Lara Croft. I don't know how old she is, you know, because part of the thing is if you're going to do a new new series, what what age, and I'm not trying to like age discriminate against her or anything like that, but it's like, you know, where do you want to start? Because with like DC, they want to, you know, cast a young Superman so they can do this 10-year year plan. So where are we starting with, with Lara Croft? Are we starting with young, super young Lara Croft, more experienced Lara Croft. I mean, I think anything would be cool. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how that's going to go. Some not so good news. Adult Swim cut ties with Justin Roiland. So he's a co-creator of Rick and Morty. Uh, there's been domestic abuse allegations against him. He and his lawyers are denying it. You know, of course. I, I don't really know what to say about this. I mean, it, it's domestic abuse, no tolerance. No, it, it is totally uncalled for. That should never happen. But, I, but then it's like, what? I mean, I don't, I haven't looked deeply into the, the claims or anything like that. I don't know if it's like, yeah, he he's, is guilty or I don't know, maybe he's not. You know, maybe it is an accusation. And, you know, that's, that's the scary thing is like if you get accused of something and then all of a sudden, boom, he's done. And, you know, if he's completely innocent, but maybe he's not completely innocent. I mean, I don't know. The, the crazy thing is, you know, being a co-creator of Rick and Morty, he's also the voice of Rick and Morty. They plan on, on continuing with, without him. You know, the other co-creator, you know, he's going to be the, the sole showrunner. And they're going to have to recast Rick and Morty. And I don't know. You know, they, they could easily go meta and you know write something in for some reason why they sound a little different you know because there's been so many different versions you know alternate earth versions of rick and morty and and so forth or whatever so do you cast someone to mimic the voice and and i i don't know where the like the, what the legality of that is because the with uh back to the future too you know the whole thing is uh crispin glover sued them because they they use his likeness and so so maybe that's one thing you could ha have someone imitate the but i don't know if the lawsuit also included the way the character talked you know when he did george mcfly in 2015 i i don't know because if if i i, I really don't know how, how they're going to do this because the thing you know with futurama uh bender almost 
was going to have to be recast. You know, do they just have someone do the voice? You know, we, we've had how many Charlie Browns have we had? How many, you know, Popeyes or, you know, whoever. So you could get someone to mimic it, but that just seems weird. Because it's like when you do look at all the different jokers we've had, there there is some bits, elements that are, are the same, but sometimes the different voice actors add their own little you know flavor to it. I've, but this is different. If this is still in the same continuity, they should sound like Rick and Morty, unless you're you know right some reason. So that sucks, man. It's just it's, everyone needs to get along. You know, just you know, don't do bad things. I, I don't know, or don't get accused of it. I don't know. Uh, Invincible news. So we saw that little like tra- trailer teaser whatever thing last week. Robert Kirkman uh, apparently might be writing some new stories. For, for the series, which is kind of interesting if you think about it, because it was 100 and was it 144? I don't know. I have that in my head or is it 150? But so many issues, so many stories that can be told. The seasons are like eight episodes. So if you think about it, it's like th- there is a lot of content. And yeah, they're going to condense. You know, it's not like one episode's one issue. You know, they're going to condense it down a little bit. So, you know, uh, one season could be 12 issues instead of eight issues or 15, you know, they could do something like that. But apparently it, what he really wants to do is to tell some stories that he just never got to do in the comics for whatever reason, it just didn't fit into arc or just a time or whatever. And so throughout the seasons, there may be some like original stories here and there. And I, I think that's really cool. While there's so much that the fans are going to want, you know, they're going to want to see each major story arc and, and everything told. But it's also kind of exciting that the fact that there's going to be some new new stuff. There's going to be some some stories that happen that we don't know how it's going to end or you have an idea. But there's there's certain things that can play out that you're not like, whoa. So it's it's like it's like reading a new story all of a sudden. It's like, OK, I have no idea what's going to happen. I think that that's cool and exciting. So uh, we'll have to see how, how that goes. So he's going to write it. I forget if, if he was going to direct the episodes too or just write it. I, I don't remember what it was. And then the, the last bit of news. I'm super hesitant. Do I even want to mention this? But uh, Stephen Dorff, guess what he's complaining about again? He's complaining about Marvel movies. Basically, he's complaining about, about comic book movies in general. Um, he's just like slamming them and... He, he he refers to him as worthless garbage, but then you know he because he has backtracked on some things before, and you know he's he's saying that like not all comic book adaptations are bad. You know he would do something if it was along the veins of like Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight and I, I forget something else, but he, he's saying like all the Marvel movies are bad, and he's like yeah sure they make money, but you know they're all garbage or whatever. I don't know. And and yeah, you can argue that, you know, the the Marvel, you know, you absolutely know I love all the, the comic book movies. Well, oh, he also he he talked about uh like Black Adam, which he, I don't think he was saying Black Adam was a Marvel movie, but he's saying how that was so bad or whatever and it's like, "Okay, dude, what was the last movie you were in?" I I couldn't tell you. I know he's done stuff. I think was he in True Detective? I I I never f- watched all of those. So I just don't, why, why, why do you want to talk negatively about something? And, and it could be someone asked him, you know, I'm sure they're like, Hey, what do you think about blade or, you know, like that. But it's like, dude, come on, man. Just, uh, and I, I just think it's ridiculous. The, the slam stuff where whatever, whatever that let's just move on. That's going to be news for the week. Positivity. 
with comic books at Image. There was American Jesus Revelation, three of three. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, I haven't read those, but uh, hopefully you're reading them and enjoying them. Let me know how, how they are. Uh, Creep Show issue five of five came out. Um, Hell to Pay issue three came out. So this is a uh, Charles Soule, Will Sliney uh, series, and you know, I I, I absolutely love. Charles Soule's writing. I, I, you know, the genies, I, I love that. I, I enjoy his Star Wars stuff. I enjoy his novels. I'm, I'm not super duper feeling this series. It is an interesting story. And um, I don't know, there's something about this one. And, and maybe I just wasn't in the right frame of mind when I was, was reading this, this particular in this month's issue. There's a, I, I really like the concept. And, and you know, I, I would love if, I don't remember if this has been optioned as a series or anything like that, but I, you know, I think it could be really cool to, to see it like fleshed out more. The idea is, you know, you have this, this couple and there's like magic involved. You know, they go to like this, I think it's like this magic university or whatever like that. And they're, they're like in debt to this organization and they had to re- retrieve all these like basically like demon coins. And I, I, I could be getting some of the facts wrong. So bear that in mind. I'm not, you know, this is, don't hold my word as gospel here. So they're supposed to, I think it was like 250 coins. They had to find all these. And once they find all those, you know, coins all over, scattered all over the world, then they're, they're free of their commitment. You know, they, they paid their price. They, you know, they gained their abilities or less, you know, education or whatever. But then uh, part of the thing is, you know, the pressure is really on to complete this because it turns out that the the woman is pregnant. And I don't remember if they're married or they're just a couple. And one of the things is this organization, this whatever, they really frown upon that. Or or if if you get pregnant, they're going to take the kid away type of thing or whatever. So they're they're trying to finish this. They get the last coin. But as they, they get that last coin, there's actually two coins. So it's like, how could there be, there's only supposed to be 250 or 250, whatever the number was. How could there be an extra one? When they brought this to the attention of the, the powers that be, they're like, okay, hey, we're done. Oh, by the way, there was this extra coin. I don't know. Good luck, you know, trying to figure that out. They're like, oh, no, you need to figure this out. So they're not done yet. And it, it just sucks for them. So they have to, and then they're getting closer to figuring out like how are more coins getting generated? You know, how are, what, what is going on? And um, th- things, things get, get pretty messy in this, this issue. There's just a lot happening. There was a, a new series uh, called Inferno Girl Red Book One. I, wasn't sure if I was going to get around to this. You know, I always I say I always try to you know, read the the number one issues at uh, Image. You know, because you never know. I never know what's going to be the like the next awesome hot series. So it says a new school, new relationships, new possibility for any teenager. Big moves are both challenging and exciting, but it's a whole other thing for Cassia Costa because an ancient cult and their army of demons has ripped her new home of Apex City out of our universe and cast into darkness. Okay, so that's you know from the description. Basically what happens, you have this mother and daughter. They're, you know, the mother relocating, she's giving stuff. Her daughter's like accepted a super awesome, you know, school. She's got like a scholarship or whatever. It's super innovative. You know, it's gonna be huge things for her. We we get wind of something. You know, mom had an interview as they're driving. You know, she takes a call. You know, she, or she gets a call from like her her agent or recruiter or something like that. And she's like, "Hey, I, you know, thanks for calling. You know, I thought the interview went really well." And then they're like, "Oh, by the way, you know, we we just 
were you in, did you um, work under this other name too or something? She's like, yeah. And they're like, oh, so there's this one incident thing or just what, what they're like, well, we can't really have that. Cause I, I think what it was is there was this hero, um, red, infernal girl, whatever. And I think she had reported on her, but there was like doubt as to whether this was a real hero, real person. So maybe her credibility was calling the question. So anyways, the girl the daughter goes to school, super excited, but then like like the description says, the whole city gets by the way, this announcement, uh, we're in a new dimension now. It's like what's going on? And then um I don't know how much let's see what else to say. I don't want to spoil the whole thing. To have any hope of saving it, Cassia must survive the worst night of her life, embrace secret legacy, and find the courage to fight when all seems lost as a blazing light of hope in a dark um inferno girl red. Um I'm I'm not gonna say anything more about but it I, I did like this this series, uh, or this for this first first issue, first book, and uh, it's 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 cool how it sets things up and um, just the, the questions like what what does this mean and who what, what's the deal with Infernal Girl and and where is this going to go? So I, I would recommend this. It's a it's an exercise, you know, issues. You know, it's five ninety nine. You know, comics are expensive these days, but it's definitely worth worth checking out. Junkyard Joe issue four. What do they say in the description here? Uh, Tales of Mad Ghost, unnamed, uh, continue his dangers, closes on Muddy Davis and Roa, soldier known only as Joe, but it gets worse when Muddy's young neighbor Emily becomes tangled in a complex web, threatens her lives. Sinister factions game. Okay. I don't want to spoil too much. Basically, you have this comic strip. This this dude, he was in, in Vietnam. There's robot that fought alongside him, saved their lives or anything like that. And then, But there's like never any... like acknowledgement that this robot served there and he got to the point where he's like did i just dream that did that really happen goes back to the states everything you're just dealing with the aftermath and all that starts doing a, a comic strip you know like light-hearted comic strip with junkyard joe and then he, now his wife passed away he's retired you know he's old his family moves across the street you know the mother passed away so the father's you know he relocated him. i think he's just trying to get away from anything that reminds him and them of their mother and her death. So there's two daughters and a son. Then Junkyard Joe actually comes to Muddy Davis's house. And one of the, 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 the kids start, you know, she sees a robot and like, what's going on? And, and, but it, to make things worse, as the kids find out about the, the, the existence of an actual robot, there's some dark forces that are in search of Junkyard Joe as well. And they're, closing in on this town that they live in so and they're gonna like go to whatever extremes to capture like someone like gets in their way kind of thing and they're just like they just kill them it's, it's like no no remorse or anything like that so it's it's not gonna be good for for any of them then there was uh plush issue three i really don't know what what the make of this so you know you have some furies furries furries people who dress up and there there's these cannibalistic furries so one guy gets i forgot how he's he gets some someone's like hey you should go to this this convention thing whatever so he he kind of gets involved goes in this alley because i think he he was drinking too much he got sick there's someone in the back eating someone in the alley then he gets pulled into it here he gets arrested they come and get and there's all this mess and so now he's hanging out with with them you know they, they 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 escape from the police station together 
and uh, you're a bunch of cannibals. So it's like, what's he going to do? And because he's not a cannibal, and uh, uh, but it's it's just it's really something. Uh, I, I I really like the the just the visuals in in, in here. So uh, you know, Daniel Hilliard's art, Rico Renzi does uh, the colors, Doug Wagner does the writing, and it's um. It's 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 obviously it's kind of dark, but you know, I, I, yeah, I don't know how else I would describe it. So it's um, it's definitely intriguing, and I have no idea where where things are going to go. At DC Comics, there was Justice Society of America issue two, and you know th- this has just been uh, I, I'm I'm loving the, this 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 series, and uh, basically you know we have. Helena Wayne, Batman and Catwoman's daughter. She's she's in the Justice Society. Things go bad. She ends up somehow going back in time, and you know she's trying to figure out like what's going on. Um, and she she goes back to like the forties with the, with the Justice Society there, and you know she's she knows who they are obviously, but then you know she's got to figure out what to do, and and you know she sees Doctor Fate, so she knows you know Doctor Fate can maybe help, and then he tries to uh, get a reading off of her and then things kind of just go wonky from there. And then um, I don't want to say too much, but it's, it's just so interesting. Um, I, I don't know where this is going and, and I, I I'm really excited for this. I, I, I really like the idea that this could be, you know, Batman Catwoman's daughter from the future and in the past. And we just bring this just society back. And what does all this mean? Who's been like kind of targeting people like in her future you know dc's future and so it's just it's just really good i i track down issue one and two or you know buy them digitally but it, it it's just been really good with uh action comics 1051 so this is a dawn of dc book and if you look on the cover first supersized issue more pages more action there's like all these super characters on, on the cover. You know, we have Superman, Superman's back. We have his son. We have uh, Keenan, what's his name? Uh, Superman of, of China. We have Connor. We have Supergirl. Um, who's this other one? It's like Robert. I don't know if that's Natasha Irons. And then we got these two kids that came from War World. I'm not super crazy that they're, you know, being brought into this, but whatever. And uh, it what's weird because... In the last issue, you know, we, we we saw how Superman basically is getting super ident- or secret identity back. But then it's like all these people. There's like so many people in the Superman family, whatever you want to call them. And, you know, they're, they're celebrating things. Um, the, the only problem I really have here is, you know, Lex Luthor lately has been trying to uh, force Metallo to do some dirty work for him. And... and I just get so tired of it. And I, you know, I totally appreciate Lex Luthor as a villain. You know, he's Superman's nemesis, but it just gets like, so it's like, okay, just get over it, Lex. What are you doing? And, and here you go again, you're manipulating. How many times has he manipulated uh, John Corbett to get him to go after Superman? And it just, it never works. And he just keeps pushing and pushing. And uh, so we'll, we'll see where this is going to go, but uh, whatever. I mean, I am enjoying this. I, I'm glad he's back. Superman's back on Earth. I just I wasn't digging to War World stuff, so we'll see where this is going to go. And I, I'm super duper excited that the Secret Identity's back. So it, that's going to be fun to see. Uh, Human Target issue eleven. So uh, Human Target, you know, he's 
dealing with the fact that he's dying. I think he's down to like one day left, and you know he's been hanging out with Ice, and you know he's figured out what the deal is, how who was behind a poison that's killing him, and um, I I just I don't I'm trying to you know figure out how are you going to get around this? You know, is he because it does it doesn't seem like there's a cure for him, but are the because also the thing is I I don't know if this is in continuity or not, and maybe it doesn't matter. At first, uh, with what happens, uh, um, Guy Gardner, I was like, okay, this is definitely not in continuity. But then it's like you never know. So we'll have to see. But uh, I, I say it all the time. Greg, uh, Greg Smallwood, his art, I said Savage because Savage Smallwood is his Instagram thing and handle. This is really good. Gorgeous, gorgeous, amazing art. So it's and I mean it's an intriguing story. So if you haven't been reading it, you should definitely when the, the trade comes comes out, whatever, uh, it'll probably come out in a nice hardcover, I would assume. But I don't know. Uh, you should definitely check that out. Punchline: The Gotham Game Issue Four. Um, I, I want to like Punchline. I just sometimes I just I, I just lose interest. And you know this is more. Of, her trying to take over a piece of Gotham or whatever, and I, I don't know. Lazarus Planet, uh, Once We Were Gods. So we, we have Shazam in here, which is weird, because this this actually picks up from the, the last, was it last week's Shazam story, you know, Mary Marvel and everything, where what's interesting is she actually talks to that that kid who is a descendant of Black Adam in the, the Black Adam series, which I haven't been like fully reading and um, there's also so this issue has a, actually I, I should back up. There's some other stories like there was one that Francis Manipole um, wrote and drew with, dealing with kind of like Aquaman and Atlanteans, and then there's like the the Black Adam stuff. But basically, Mary wants to try to find Billy because you know Billy's trapped in the uh, Rock of Eternity. Um, there's a Wonder Woman story, but like overall, I, I don't know. You know, this is supposed to be a Lazarus story, but um, it, it was just a the Mary Marvel, you know, and what's his name? Uh, this the story that that really interested me. Um, interested me, got me interested. Well, you know what I'm saying? You you are going to want to see this. Uh, there's going to be another Shazam series coming. This definitely is going to bridge the the two series in like a major way. So it's weird that they're putting it in here because if you're not in tune to this you'd totally miss out and then you might be like well what's gonna well how'd this happen blue beetle graduation day i end up kind of flipping through this i, I you know i was never like the biggest jaime reyes fan N nothing against him i just when the series came out i didn't read it i've i've read you know stories with him here and there with you know the teen titans or whoever and and i i can appreciate the character and you know but here I don't know. It, it it just it's still it almost feels like it's out of continuity which is the way things are handled and you know we have this war coming but then it's like it it doesn't feel like it's being taken that seriously, you know, this alien race that wants to I don't know. So we'll see. Cat 151 is dealing with Selena being in prison and she seems to be okay with it. I don't know what her plan is. Um but she's, you know, just trying to get by and and turn things in her favor and i don't know we'll see uh detective comics 1068 i'm I'm still i just i just can't get into this the story arc and i don't i don't know what it is 
So it's just, it's weird because I can't remember the last time I felt that way about a Batman story. It's just, I just, I can't bring myself to read it. It's just, it's not working. Sandman Universe uh, Dead Boy Detectives issue two. I'm really enjoying this. Uh, if you know anything about the Dead Boy Detectives, it, it just, it feels just right. You know, the characters are venturing off. There's this other mystery with ghosts and, uh, you know, people getting killed and, uh, different types of ghosts and and all that. So that's what I really like. How it's just to you know bring in all the different people, like from whatever religious beliefs they they have and everything. So there's definitely some some cool things here. Tim Drake, Robin, issue five. Uh, what's weird about this? I, I I look at it all the time. You know, you look at all the, like the the covers, the variant covers, and how it just it. I know I shouldn't be nitpicking or just hanging on to this it just really bothers me the way his hair is drawn uh, and at it's one one point in the issue riley rosmo's you know he he does do an entire issue so then all of a sudden his hair you know he's hanging upside down and he's got like the spiky hair and everything and i was like is it just because he's hanging upside down but then it's like no because there's a different artist and we're finding out like who's in charge of like who's been behind all this this attacks and everything like that and it's it's someone's like i want to be your nemesis and it's like i don't know we'll see it it just it it feels weird the way tim is written here i I keep saying the same thing and i'm I'm tired of i don't want to just keep harping on it but like the way he's written here and the way he's like written in, um, there's something else like recently he was in. It just almost felt like two different characters. I don't know. Harley Quinn, I just kind of skimmed through. Uh, there's a bunch of different versions of Harley apparently. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know. And then Batman, One Bad Day, Catwoman. It didn't like overly stand out for me. I mean, it, it, was, a, it, was, it was a good, good uh, Catwoman story. You know, it's G. Willow Wilson. You know, she's she's an amazing writer, and Jamie McKelvey does does the art. But I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, there's a, a tale like kind of like a, something that ties into the Catwoman's past. It was it was fine. It was a fine story. So it was it was good. I it didn't like blow me away. And if I didn't read it. I don't feel like this one thing is like the one bad, you know, the, the overall, I mean, unless I'm totally wrong, like what the the idea is with this one bad day, but I don't feel like this necessarily like defined her, you know, turned her one direction or another. It was a good and interesting story, but um, will I want to go back and read it in a, in a few months or years or I don't, I don't think so. I don't know. Anyways, at Marvel, there was All Out Avengers issue five. So I'm I'm just really interested with with this series. You know, we we get thrown in the middle of the action. Part of me, you know, feels like that's a cheap way to just you know not have to set stories up. You can just you know skip all that part. But it does make things exciting in, in a way because you know you just get right to it. And we know that there's someone who's been in, involved, like manipulating. You know, there's someone who's definitely observing. And you know, just narrating, you know, is aware of what's happening, and we also know that the characters are somehow being manipulated. Like their, their memories and recordings are, you know, they're not fully aware that someone is is manipulating events. And in order to do that, it has to be someone with, with a bit of powers. Like, how the heck do you do you do all that? 
Um, so what happens here is like it's Spider-Man versus the Avengers. He's like, you guys are were brainwashed, basically. He's like, I have to get this device over to a, a friend of mine at, at the, the university so you can, you know, hit it and reverse what was done to you. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck like this. And they're like, uh, yeah, that's great, but you're actually the one who's been brainwashed, and we need to get that device from you. So it's it's really cool to see Spider-Man, like, on his own against the Avengers, you know, running from the Avengers, fighting the Avengers, and everything and you know i i did get a secret wars vibe in one aspect where he's like you know it's mentioned that he knows that out in the open he doesn't stand as much of a chance against you know you got all the all the, the big guns going after him but if he can like bring them into a, a closed room you know location it's it's easier for him there's less room for them to maneuver and it's easier for him to turn things in his favor so this was uh it, it was it was good and we do potentially find out who is involved. And it's like, what? Um, I don't know if that's been given away in like solicits or anything like that. Because how could you not, you know, solicits for, I'm assuming, at least six and seven are out, maybe eight. So that would mean the covers are out unless they just don't release the covers. But yeah, you have that. Amazing Spider-Man issue 18. Ugh. So with this dark web stuff, with the X-Men side of things, Madeline Pryor has, she's come to terms with, with everything. You know, she was out against, you know, against the X-Men. She wanted, she felt her experience with her, with Nath, baby Nathan, baby Christopher, whatever you want to call him, was taken from her. So she wants to steal the memories back from Jean. But then, spoiler, Jean's like, here you go. It's like, I'll share the memories with you. You know, changing his diaper, raising him, you know, all that stuff. And at even point, like Madeline, like was like kind of like heartbroken when she saw like the pain that Gene and Scott went through when you know Nathan was infected with the tech with the whatever virus technovirus, and then they had to you know give him to the Ascani to take him in the future to save him. And so you know she she saw all that and she realized the error of her ways that you know she didn't have to do all this, but that doesn't mean that the Ben Riley the Ben Riley chasm part of it is is over he's still bent on uh you know he he wants to, to get spider-man's soul for himself and he feels like he, it's his and it's just this just does not feel like ben riley i mean he is so far off he is so he's crossed the line so far and this, I mean, it was bad enough when Ben Riley was like the jackal and doing like crazy things. This is so far beyond. I mean, it's just, it's, just, I, I just, I don't know. And, and I hate where this is going. This just does not feel like Ben Riley. So it's like, I'm, I'm starting to feel like, yeah, Ben Riley died back in the Clone Saga. You know, you got me going on that rant. I would, I would go on, but I'm always, I almost wished it he didn't come back because this, I just, I don't care for this. This is not for me. Then, Oh, there midnight suns issue five came out. I, I'm not super crazy about this, but I usually flip through it. I, I didn't get a chance to, to do that. Uh, murder world Wolverine. I, I'm kind of curious with the story. Um, I, I don't know how I feel overall about, about it, but basically you have these people her get pulled into this uh contest it's like a survival thing arcade is is behind it 
and he, you know, there's supposed to be a reward if you can survive. And I forget how many, if it was like 200 people or hundred and something, whatever. And it's, it's a, a course, you know, all being televised on a dark web. And, you know, that's how arcade is making money off of this. And he's just like manipulating things. But w- with each issue, because the first one was Avengers, then we had Spider-Man, and this one's Wolverine. Basically, at some point, whatever, he unleashes a bunch of, like, here is a bunch of Wolverine, like, robots or LMDs or whatever they are to, to go and mess with the people in the contest to, you know, kill a bunch of them or, you know, try to get them, see if they can survive. It's, the, the Wolverine part in here is, it seems like such a small, small part. It just seems kind of silly. I don't know. I'm more interested in these characters. But I guess if that brings a connection that might make people give them a reason to want to, you know, read these versus like, here's a bunch of random people trying to survive. And the thing is, I hate Arcade. Arcade is is like not my familiar. I don't know who I, I think maybe I hate Carnage more than, than Arcade. But I just find Arcade just super annoying and unnecessary. But I'm curious to see where this is going to go because you know, it, it started off with this kid who was this YouTuber and you know he was and things didn't go too well for him. So it's just crazy that they just like took him off the board right away. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see where this is going to go. Uh, Sabretooth and Exiles issue three. Only issue three. I'm not reading that because I don't. There's so many characters I don't like these days. Grumpy old Tony. I, I don't like Sabretooth. I'm done with him. I just don't want to read about him. Uh, Sins of Sinister. <laughs> Guess what? I don't like Mr. Sinister. I, I feel like back in the 90s when he first came out, he was he was like, he was actually like a cool villain. He was like menacing. You know, he, like who is this guy? He's manipulating us. What the heck did he do to Cyclops? Why is he connect, collecting his DNA? Or what is he doing with the Summers family? He made Madeline Pryor. He was like all this crazy stuff. But just like, and I, I don't know how far, if it's just a Krakoa since then, or if it goes back further, he's more like a, a like a buffoon. He's like a clown. And, you know, he's he's doing a bunch of, you know, dark and, you know, whatever personal crazy schemes. But it's, I, I don't know, I just can't take him seriously. And in here, things just, it, he has like a huge, massive plan. And, you know, things go into the future a bit. And it's just like, this is... This is like affecting everything, but you know, obviously, there's the potential of resetting things or whatever. And uh, I just, I don't know. So it's, I mean, it is interesting, you know, especially considering the fact that I don't care for Mister Sinister. But um, yeah, some some big crazy things, and and it makes it kind of scary. You know, it makes you maybe even question this whole Krakoa and like idea and everything that. The, the fire that they're playing with like things things could easily get turned and that's the other thing is like is any of this stuff already in motion you know has he been able to do any of this i don't know then there's star wars yoda issue three um so far i i've just been okay with this uh, i i like yoda uh i i don't know i i think i keep going back to like was it was it attack of the clones where we see like yoda fighting and he, even a re- revenge of the Sith, but here you know he goes to this this small planet and he helps this group of people, you know, his tribe or whatever, and um, and he ends up he's going to live there. You know, he wants to just hang out with them. And uh, but I, I I guess I I did like where this issue went with like the kind of story and the direction, and um, it it was interesting to see how 
he let the story play out, how he let the events play out. Cause um, you know, there, there's a talk of like patience and, and he was in no hurry to make things happen like right away. It's not like, you know, it, it took a while. So, you know, you have to admire Yoda for that. So I, I guess I, I kind of take back what, what I was saying where I was a little, little negative at the beginning, but, um, and the thing is when you read this or when I was reading, I was like, Oh, it's wrapping things up. I guess this is the end of the series because I wasn't paying attention to issue number. But no, there's more. So that that's cool because uh, I, I I like Yoda and I think who you know who doesn't like Yoda. Thor, issue thirty. I I don't know if I read the previous issue because there's you know I was a little confused with I I must not have because I I didn't know everything that was going on, but just uh, some some crazy things happening here and. Yeah, I don't, I don't know stuff with like Thor's grandfather and um, what's her her name the Valkyrie um, I feel like something with the R um, and then there's a what's his name Glaive Corvus Glaive uh, that guy I don't like either but um, so yeah it's just some some big things happening here and then Exterminators issue five this is a I, I would almost say this is a fun book it's it's a more mature X-Men book. Uh, you know, they definitely take some some more, you know, there, there's more drinking or more whatever. So it, it's not, I wouldn't call it an adult book, but it's definitely, you know, pushing things a, a little further. And uh, it, it's, it's been fun. And I, I really, I, I think what I really like about this is I, I've, as I read this, I was like, I really like Dazzler. So we have Dazzler, we have Boom Boom, we have Jubilee, we have... Uh, was it um, Betsy, Betsy Braddock and um, Laura Kinney. So, you know, we, we got some really cool characters here and uh, um, I wasn't super crazy with the nemesis that Dazzler's going up against, but I hope that there's more after this. You know, this is just like five ish. I don't remember if this was the end or not, but it, it's, it's been fun. And um, it's also been fun talking about comics, but I, think i think somehow that's it there was, it was weird because there wasn't a lot of marvel this week and it's like it's the middle of the month it's not the the fifth week so i don't know that's but that's gonna be comics for the week okay with servant season four episode two itch oh my goodness um so dorothy she's at home she fell you know how many floors like two floors whatever off the stairs spinal injury and stuff like that so she wakes up like hearing jericho crying but she can't get up she yells she's like mommy's right here dorothy is just oh man so leanne and sean are in the kitchen and she's like oh this meal should be special and but sean doesn't want to shock her system she says that she's been eating pretty bland in the hospital the last few months he was supposed to have a, a gq appointment this morning so i guess an interview with gq magazine right uh, but he says it's her first day back and, you know, she might need him. But Leanne's like, she needs normalcy. You you should go. And Julian like, walks in the kitchen, you know, so I guess he's hanging out there because what else does he have to do? What does he do? Does he even work? And Leanne's like, oh, we, we can handle things for a morning. Dorothy's phone pings. She's trying to reach for it. It was, it's like on that hospital table tray thing, but it's just like out of reach. So she can't, can't get it. Then Leanne walks in with like a bowl of food and she's like, morning. And Dorothy's like out of breath. And, and she says that she, she's like, I told Sean, I didn't want. And Leanne's like, well, Sean had to go to work. She's like, don't worry. You're in good hand. 
And she whispers, she's like, where's my son? Leanne tries like adjusting her. She snaps, she's like, don't touch me. She's like, I'm fine. And Leanne's like, you're in pain. And Dorothy's like, I'll heal, go away. And Leanne's like, I understand that you're hurting, but you don't need to be cruel. So she tells her there's like a bell on the table. She's like, if you need anything, you know, just ring the, ring the bell. And she's like, no one else is going to bother you today. And then she grabs Dorothy's phone and Dorothy, she had a practical gas. She's like, oh. and, and Leanne's like, so you can relax. In the kitchen, Leanne tells Julian that, uh, that uh, Dorothy won't touch the oatmeal. And he's like sitting with Jericho. And then she gives him a pad of paper and she's like, can you make this? And at first I was like, what, is he going to make like some furniture or something like that? Because she's like, Dorothy would appreciate it. It's food. And Leanne says she's going to spend some time with Jericho before lunch. And then Julian holds up the pad. He's like, I'm not going to make it taste like Sean's. And she gives him like a kiss on top of the head. She's like, and then, oh, and then he's like, he's like, oh, Leanne. He's like, I don't know if we should be together while Dorothy's home. And she's like, well, Sean has to work and Dorothy needs to heal. We have to be them now. So it's like, uh, not really. We're like, what is going on in Leanne's mind? I'm not, not really clear on this. Dorothy's like watching the news, and there's a report about violent crime surge in Philadelphia and all this stuff like that. She's clearly uncomfortable in bed, and you know she's probably in pain, and you know just like trying to move around and stuff. Leanne comes in, turns off the TV. She's like, "You really shouldn't be watching this." She's like, "The city is just as beautiful as, as it's ever been," and then she's like, "Oh, Julian made you shakshuka." She's like, "Isn't that sweet?" Dorothy's like, "Where's my brother?" She's like, "I want to see him." And Leanne's like, oh, in a little while. She's like, how are you feeling? And she's like, itchy and in pain. And she's like, and I don't want you anywhere near me. Leanne's like, well, I'll speak to your doctor about upping your medication. So she tries feeding her, like, some of the, like, whatever, the shakshuka stuff. And Dorothy, like, turns away. She's like, come on, just one little bite. And she's like, no. Leanne manages to get some in her closed mouth. And then Dorothy leans to the side, spits it out, and it lands on Leanne's shoe. They just kind of, like, stare at each other. Because it's like, was that intentional? I mean, I'm... I have to think it's not, even though Dorothy's totally, totally would spit on her shoe, but she's, you know, she doesn't have that much movement and I doubt she has that much coordination spitting. So they just like stare at each other. Then Leanne's like, now I know that was an accident. Sean said that your stomach might take a little while to readjust. And then she says that, you know, she made her something as a, a welcome home gift and she puts a quilt out in the bed she's like it's made out of jericho's old clothes the ones that he's grown out of since you've been away he's gotten so big and dorothy whispers like that's a mother's job to get rid of all his old clothes not yours now you've taken that away from me too and she just like looks off to the sides like oh it's like oh my goodness it's just she's just driving me nuts i mean she's always been irritating and annoying but this is just like times 87 julian's like staring out the window he's looking at like the camp people in the park he's in leanne's room and he like sits on her bed he gets a call from sean and sean's like asking if everything's right because dorothy wasn't answering his calls julian's like oh i'm sure everything's fine she's probably just resting and sean asks if if, he's like because he's like a a video or a facetime or something like that he's like are you in leanne's closet and Julian's like, oh, I thought you wanted to talk in private. And Sean's like, well, have Dorothy, you know, call me because, you know, I want to check in. Leanne's, uh, she says uh, to Dorothy, she's like, I understand that you're angry at me, but what happened on the stairs was an accident. And I'm very sorry about the blanket. That was wrong of me not to ask you. Then she's like, I have a surprise lunch guest. So she goes and she gets Jericho. She's like, oh, my sweet boy. Mommy missed you so much. She holds out her arms. She's like, give him to me. And Leanne's like, two bites first. 
So she grabs like half a sandwich and she like chops and then lands like two more. <laughs> it's like, uh, you're pushing it. And, you know, she's like, just like that, two more. And then she does it quickly. And Le- Leanne's sitting on the bed with Jericho. And then he like kind of is like starting to crawl and stuff like that. Dorothy is like, she, she's like, oh, I can't pick you up yet. She's like, but I will. And then I won't let you go. And then it's just going to be me and you forever and ever, little one. And Leanne's like, okay, that's enough for today. And she picks him up. Dorothy's like, I only had him for a minute. And Leanne's like, well, you can't overexert yourself. Doctor's orders. And Dorothy's like, please. Then as Leanne walks out of the house, she's like, I hate you. Uh, then we see like later Dorothy's lying in bed and she's like starting to scratch. It's like, okay. In the kitchen, uh, Sean's assistant dude, Toby, whatever. What's it? I think that's name. He's like filling up the fridge. And then she, uh, Leanne comes out and she's like, Oh, Dorothy's back from the hospital. And you know, she thinks she knows what's, what's best for her, but she doesn't. And then she said that she, then Toby says something. Sometimes he finds it best to just show people that you trust him. Julian walks in. He's like, what's up, Tobes? He's like, what are you doing here? So Sean asked him to take care of some things while he was in production or something like that. So he's like, so I might be around. And he's like, what are you doing here? But it's like, why would you ask that? It's like he, you know, Dorothy's, it, I'm Dorothy's back from the hospital. He's her brother. So it's like such a stupid question. But obviously, it's, it's probably some jealousy between, you know, over Leanne. But Julian just doesn't say anything. Dorothy managed to fall asleep or something like that. Leanne puts her phone in, on a table and walks out. So I guess this is her her sign of showing that she trusts her or whatever. Then uh, she went like outside. She picked an arranged bouquet of flowers for for Dorothy. Then a doorbell rings. It's Courtney. So that's uh, Dorothy's father's young girlfriend. Leanne's like, oh, she's resting. Maybe another time. But Courtney puts her foot in the door when, when Leanne tries to close it, and she's like, oh, I just texted or she just texted me. So uh, Dorothy found a phone like right away. Leanne's like listening in and then she brought her like some treat or something like that. The floor creaks and Courtney sees Leanne in the hall. She's like, I brought flowers for Dorothy. And Dorothy asks Courtney, she's like, can you close the door? Because she's such a rude, you know. Leanne's sitting on the stairs. Sean walks in. He's like, is everything okay? She's like, Dorothy, you know, call me and ask me to come home. Then he's like, have you seen what's going on outside? So there's a bunch of people out there. There's like mattresses on the street. I'm like, what? And then there's these guys like gas masks and they're carrying like tanks or something. So it turns out there's bed bugs. And it's like in, in the whole neighborhood. And it looks like it's like everything is infected. So Sean, Courtney, and Julian, they like check a couch cushion or something like that because you're supposed to check the seams or whatever. I think they're like in the office or I don't know, maybe they're in the living room. And then there's like a ton of, of bed bugs like under the cushion. Courtney's like grossed out. She's like, oh, I want to call Frank. Uh, Julian and Dorothy's father and Julian's like like what are, what are we going to do about Dorothy so Dorothy is like frantically ringing the bell she's like what's going on hello and, she, and she's still scratching her skin's like starting to get red and blotchy so they're, they're, they're checking out the downstairs looking at the cushions they're all infected Julian answers a knocking door it's his dad he's like in, in like a whole suit like, oh, not quite a hazmat suit, but like one of those whatever suits. And it has a gas mask. He's like, well, I, for one, will not be ruining my suit. So he asks Sean, he's like, did you call an exterminator? He's like, I've been on hold for 30 minutes. And Frank's like, well, how's Dorothy? So he's like, well, I haven't been up there. She keeps texting. And he doesn't think that they can move her, so he doesn't know what else to say. Frank's like, well, we should keep it that way. No use frightening her. You know, we just we should wait until we can get some help. You know, she might injure herself trying to move. And Julian says that she's okay. He thinks Leanne's with her. And Sean kind of like looks up and he's like, like he's trying to listen. Dorothy wakes up and finds Leanne is like shaving her legs with a straight razor. She's like, what are you doing? And 
Leanne tells her to hold still. She's like, a little self-care goes a long way. She's like, I know you haven't been yourself lately. This will help. She's like, I used to shave my uncle, so I have a very steady hand. And she's like, where is everyone? Where's Courtney? Leanne's like, I think she's having a shower. And she's like, a shower? And then then Leanne's like, you know, you really didn't need to call Courtney or Sean. I mean, we're fine. You and me on our own. Dorothy's like, Leanne, get off me. And she like kind of moves, like tries to kick her. And she gets like a big cut on her leg. And Leanne is just like, she's like, fine, I'll leave. I'll leave you half finished if that's what you want. And so she doesn't even bother like trying to blotch the, the cut or anything like that. And then, then she's like, here, why don't you, why don't we do a little color? And she's like, tries putting lipstick on her and Dorothy like struggle. And then she tries biting her hand and Leanne just drops the, the lipstick and she curses and like walks out. So Frank and Julian are sitting on the couch and they're in coveralls or having a drink. And Frank's like, so may I be so bold as to broach the subject of you banging the nanny? And Julian's like, you should talk. He's like, Courtney's been around what? Nine, 10 months now. He's like, when's her expiration date? And Frank's like, she makes me happy. And he's like, they all did for a while, at least. And then he asks if the nanny makes him happy. He's like, uh, I, like I don't know. It's like, I can't quite explain it. Sean pops into Dorothy's room and she's angry. And she's like, WTF? He's like, I came you know, home as soon as you called, but we're dealing with something. He's like, I don't want to freak you out, but we have bed bugs. And she's like, I've been itching all day. And he tells her, it's like whole neighborhood is infested. They're, they're trying to take care of it, but it's going slow. He's like, don't worry. He's like, I'll get you out of here. She's like, don't worry. Do you see the situation I'm in? He's like, well, I can try to move you myself. And she's like, no. And he's like, come on. He's like, let me try. If it hurts, I'll stop. And she's like, no, I'd rather be bitten by bed bugs than have you touch me. So she's like snippy with him too. He's like, how can you say that? And she's like, you left me alone with her. And he's like, Dorothy. And she's like, hand me my phone. Send Courtney in. Jericho's sleeping. Leanne's like standing over him. Julian comes in and is like, you don't want one of these cool outfits? But the, like the hazmat suit thing. And she's like, I'll be fine. He stands next to her. And she kind of like kisses him. And then she's like, ask what's wrong. He's like, nothing. She says, and then she's like, I don't get it. She's like, it doesn't matter how much I give you, Sean, Dorothy. You're also miserable all the time. It's like, do you know how horrible it feels to be taken for granted, Julian? And it's like, it's infuriating. It's like bugs crawling under your skin. So are the bed bugs because of of Leanne? Yeah, right. It has, it's got to be because of the crack that she did last episode. She walks out of room. He goes out in the hall and he notices like the ceiling is like cracking or maybe it's about to cave in. I don't know. Leanne goes uh, to Dorothy's room with a bedpan and she's like, it's time for Dorothy to eliminate. Courtney's like, we were having a private discussion. And Dorothy says, go make, go make the call for me. And she's like, I'll be fine. She looks at Leanne. Then she uses a grip overhead to like try to like pull herself up. So like, I'm assuming so the bed pan, pan can go under her. She struggles, but it's like she can't even move. I guess she has like no arm strength. Leanne asks, she's like, do you need my help? And then, you know, Leanne or Dorothy doesn't say anything. So she just goes over, lifts the covers, roll rolls her to the side and like adjusts like the bedpan or whatever. Dorothy's clearly in, in pain, whatever, like swats, you know, after she's done because, you know, she's trying to do it or whatever. She like swats at her hand causes the bedpan to spill like all over Leanne. And again, is this accidental or is this a very calculated blow? I I want to believe that it was accidental because I don't feel like Leanne is capable of being that precise and all her pain and everything like that. But who knows? I mean, 
because she just doesn't say a word. And Leanne's just like, accidents happen, but I'm always here to clean up after you, aren't I? And she's like, pulls off the cover. She makes Dorothy sit up and she's like groaning. She pulls off her, like her, her PJ top. She's like, I'll wash these for you. And Dorothy's just like left in pain and, and then like lies back down. Sean, Julie and Courtney and Frank are poking. There's like a big mess of bugs in the sofa like that. And it just like kind of moves. And Julie's like, how long until exterminators come? And it's like three hours. Sean's like, he was outbid by the neighbors. He's like, they paid triple. And Sean's like, there's like six trucks out there. He's like, one of them has to help. Julian's like, wow, I'll, I'll go and check. Outside is still a mess. There's still mattresses everywhere. There's all these people. He sees like this young dude sitting on, on like the back of a truck, like on his phone. So Julian tries getting him to help because obviously he's just sitting there. He's not working. So, you know, maybe it could spare him. And, and he's like, he's like, I don't make the rules, bro. And so he's like, oh, well, then can you find this? Who does make the rules? Then this lady comes up to Julian fantastic isn't it her gifts grow every day you must be in awe he's like what are you talking about she did this to protect us from those who wish to do us harm don't you see there's a war afoot she's shielding us she's shielding your family and julian's like uh sorry to break it to you but this is more of an issue of hygiene and negligence not voodoo then she grabs his arm she's like you can feel it can't you when you're close to her there's something that pulls you in tells you that she is the way it's her power leanne finds toby like still in the kitchen uh, he because she told him to wait until exterminators left and he he's like making some mole sauce or some food because he figured they could use some comfort food because i guess he used to do it, or his mom used to make it for him when he was young and he got bad grade you know all this stuff dorothy um here's someone in the hall she's like who is it so it's leanne with food and then she's like i'll eat as many bites as you want just let me see my son Leanne like looks at her. She's like, you know, she goes to like the foot of the bed. You used to like me. She's like, we danced. We plant flowers. We tell secrets. Girl time. Do you remember? She's like, what happened to that? Leanne's like, I realized what you are. And she's like, what am I? You're evil. Leanne thinks on that. And she's like, do you want to hear a secret, Dorothy? I'm starting to realize things about people around you. They love you very much, but you know what I think even more than that? They're afraid of me. It used to bother me, but I'm starting not to mind so much. In fact, I think they're so afraid that they probably wouldn't step foot inside this room if they knew I was in here. Probably not even if you screamed. Right now, I'm all you've got. And she just walks out. Then a shadowy man starts walking down the street. He randomly is out. He's like, how many houses were affected? And someone's like, 15, 20? Like pretty much a whole block. And he falls to his knees and he says something like in his southern language. I think it was Uncle George. Sean says that he doesn't get it. You know, he left the GQ interview halfway like through. But now they're demanding that he come back and do a bigger interview tomorrow. He's like, it's like I can't do wrong. Courtney's like, my skin is on fire. She tells Frank, she's like, get me out of this house. So, so much for being there for Dorothy. She doesn't care. Leanne comes up with the laundry. She sees that the front door is open. She goes in the kitchen. She grabs this big knife. She goes upstairs. She finds two like old women in Dorothy's room. And she's like, who are they? And Dorothy's like, they're the live-in nurses that I've hired to help me. Like, Courtney and I have been researching options all day. And Leanne's like, what? Why? She's like, I think you know. You can go now. You're not going to win this battle, Leanne. And she still has like the knife in her hand. The two women, they kind of move towards Leanne a little bit, whatever. And she just kind of like backs up. She's like, I'm trying very hard not to get angry. And she just like backs out of the room and closes the door. 
But it's like, oh my goodness, Lee Ann is just being ridiculous. Uh, she is. It's because she's not the center of attention. You know, she's so jealous of Lee Ann. But it's like she just does not realize the fact that she killed Jericho. She left him in a car in like the hundred degree temperature. Let him fry in her. And then Leanne came and somehow resurrected him, brought him back from whatever. Oh, goodness. So <laughs> that's, that is that uh, is the second episode. And like I said last week, uh, if, if you're eager, hungry for more, the third episode is out now by the time you listen to this. So I'm like, just ha- like a, I'm a week behind. Speaking of being a week behind. So because uh, The Last of Us, because it airs Sunday nights and the podcast goes live Sunday nights, we're going to be a week behind. So season one, episode two, Infected. It starts off with like a flashback, Jakarta. It doesn't give the, sp- the specific year, but it, it's like early on before like things happen. So in, in Indonesia, in the city, you see like the restaurant, these people come in, um, they like point, they, they pick up this like older lady and she's like in the back of a car. I don't know if they're like police or like soldiers, but she's not sure why they they picked her up. And because and, like in the car, she's like, did, did I commit a crime? And one dude's like, no, of course not. And she's like, are you sure you have the right person? And one guy's like, you're Ibu Ratna, professor of mycology at the University of Indonesia. We have the right person. So she's brought into this like secure like hospital area. There's like, you know, soldiers or whatever her guards they want her to examine this specimen they want her to make her like her own judgment so she looks at it and she's like ophiocordyceps and she's like why did they why did you use chlorazole to prepare the slide then the i don't know if he's a general or whoever this dude is but he's like um he's like because that is a preparation used for samples taken from a human then she gets up and like matter of factly says like she's like cordyceps cannot survive in humans and he like nods so then we see her like in this like hazmat types, you know, medical suit. She enters this room. The general dude, he's like, like on the other side of his glass, like on intercom. He's like, if you feel sick, leave the room right away. So there's a, a dead woman, dead body on a table. And she like notices there's a single gunshot, like wound to the head. General's like bottom of her left leg. So she looks at it and it looks like there's like a human bite mark. She cuts into it with a scalpel and there's like some white stuff underneath. Then she asks if the bite is from a human, and he just nods. Then she checks the mouth. She sticks, like, some uh, forceps in and pulls out some, like, stringy white stuff. She, like, is looking at it, and it starts, like, moving, and she, like, kind of freaks out and drops it, and then she, like, leaves the room. She's having some tea later, and she's like, when did it happen? And they're, like, approximately 30 hours ago at a flour and grain factory on the west side of the city. So she says, like, oh, it's a perfect substrate for it to grow. So she was a normal woman. Then... She became suddenly violent. She attacked four coworkers and she bit three of them. They locked her in a bathroom and then the police came. She tried to attack them, so they shot her. The people bit were brought in for observation. And a few hours later, it became necessary, according to procedure, to execute them. Ratten is like, who bit the woman? And they don't know. She says, uh, you know, so she's like, they're still out there. She's like, are there any other workers missing? Fourteen. They tell her that she was brought here to help keep it from spreading. So they need a vaccine or medicine. She says that, you know, she spent her life studying, Ratna says she spent her life studying these things. She's like, so listen carefully. There is no medicine. There is no vaccine. And he's like, well, what do we do? 
she like pauses and she's like bomb she's like start bombing bomb the city and everyone in it and she's like starts crying and she's like could someone drive me home i would like to be with my family so she's like basically you got to kill us all there's there's no hope in the present Ellie like wakes up like on some grass, but she's inside a building. So it's like overgrown inside. She hears some creaking and she turns and Joel and Tess are just sitting there like staring at her. They're like armed. And she gets up like Joel, like readies a rifle and she stays seated. And she's like, do I look like I'm infected? And Joel's like, show us your arm. And she's like, it's not getting any worse, is it? Then she says, if they're out in open city, why aren't they getting swarmed? And they're like, don't worry about that. She's like, well, I'm going to, Tess asks, uh, what was Marlene doing with an infected kid? Ellie says, uh, she's like, I'm not infected. Then she's like, Marlene found me after I was bitten. And Joel's like, and she didn't shoot you? She's like, clearly not. She locked me up and had her guys test me every day to see if I was getting sick. And Tess's like, how were you tested? And so just, the thing is, Ellie's like such, she's kind of a smart ass. But then, you know, she's like, they made her count to 10 and they'd hold out her, she had to hold out her hand so they could see if she could keep it steady. But she's like, you know what really impressed him was the fact that I didn't turn into a fudging monster. She's like, I have to pee. And Joel like looks at his like wounded head from like punching the the, the guard. Because um, she goes in, a, uh, Ellie goes like in this other room to pee in a corner somewhere. So Tess looks at him. She's like, your hand's broken. She's, and he's like, well, maybe her hairline, it'll heal. You know, it'll heal fast. Then Tess is like, she made it through the fudging night, Joel. He's like, it doesn't matter. It's going to happen sooner or later. He's like, we're still close to the wall. We sneak her back into the QZ. We find a different way to get the battery. Tess is like, this is our best shot. If we take her back, someone's going to notice her arm. They're going to scan her. Then they'll kill her. And Joel's like, better than them than us. He's like, we have to stop talking about this kid like she's got some kind of life in front of her. Ellie comes back. Tess asks her if she's hungry. You know, she's like, you can have some of our our food, our ration. And Ellie's like, Marlene gave me some food. So they're eating like like jerky or you know something like that, something kind of gross. She's eating like a chicken sandwich. And Marlene apparently said to get it from smugglers. And she's like, uh, guess not you guys. So like other smugglers, Tess goes closer and asks. She's like, why is why are you so important to Marlene? And she's like, don't lie or we'll take you back ellie's like if you take me back you won't get your battery and Tessa's like so you heard that he wants to shoot you so she crouches in and she says that you know i'm going to speak to you like an adult she's like me and joel we aren't good people we're, we're doing this for us because apparently you're worth something but if they don't know what what she's worth if, if they don't know what they have so ellie says that marlene told her not to tell anyone and she's like and now i'm telling the first people that and she's like, there's a firefly base camp somewhere out west with doctors. And, and then uh, they're working on a cure. And Joel's like, mm-hmm. He, he's like, I've heard this one before. So she's like, whatever happened to me? And Joel joins in he, like with her. He's like, is the key to finding the vaccine? He's like, that's what this is? He's like, we've heard this a million times. Vaccines, miracle, miracle cures. He's like, none of it ever works, ever. Ellie stands and she's like, Fudge you, man. She's like, I didn't ask for this. And he's like, you and me both. He's like, this isn't going to end well. He's like, Tess, we need to go back. And Tess is like, let's just finish it. It doesn't matter if she is or isn't what the fireflies say. If they believe that she is, then they get what they want. And, and then he, he finally was like, if she's so much as twitches. And Ellie starts like, she's like, and Tess is like, don't. 
you know, like, don't mess with Joel because he's gonna, about to shoot her. So they start packing up. And then she's like, can I have a gun? And Tessa's like, no. And Joel's like, absolutely not. She's like, okay, okay. It seems like such a stupid question. So Joel moves this big cabinet out of the, the, he like out of, in front of the door. He peeks out. He's like, it's clear. So outside, Ellie's impressed. And Tessa's like, yeah, it looks different in daylight, huh? The buildings are like semi-demolished or overgrown. There's like vegetation everywhere. One building is like kind of knocked over, like it must have started like collapsing or something like that. It's like, you know, leaning on another. They start walking and Tessa's like, it's like a fudged up moon. And she's like, is this where they bombed? And Tessa's like, yeah, they hit, you know, most of the big cities like this. They had to slow to spread somehow. You know, it worked here, but it did in most places. They, you know, then there's a walk down the street. They kind of get to a dead end. It's like all blocked off. Tessa's like, the state house is just over there. It's a 10 minute walk if you, if you could go straight. And Joe's like, long way or short way? Tessa says, she's like, well, I mean, you know, I mean, the, it's the long way or the we're fudging dead way. And Joel says, he's like, well, we have to check it from the hotel first. They walk by a bunch of cars, like they're all like overgrown and everything like that. And Ellie asks, she's like, you know, she's like, where are they already? And Tessa's like, you'll know when they're near. Ellie says that, you know, she didn't, she's like, well, I didn't know last time, you know, when she got attacked. Tessa's like, how did you get bet? And Ellie mentions, she's like, well, you know, the old mall and the QZ. And Tessa's like, the one that's sealed off, boarded up, and no one's supposed to go in ever. That one. And Ellie's like, whatever. She's like, I snuck in. She's like, I want to see what it was like. And one came out of nowhere and bit me. She's like, I, you know, I, I thought I got away. And then Tessa's asked if it was just her out, you know, out in there alone. And she's like, yeah. Tessa's like, how old are you? And she's like, 14. And she's like, wow. So Tessa's impressed. Tessa asks if anyone was going to be coming after her, mom, dad, boyfriend. She says, she's like, I'm an orphan, and no. Then she says that she thought that there was supposed to be swarms of infected running around everywhere. Joel's like, it's not exactly like that. Tess says that people tend to tell stories, and Ellie's like, so there aren't super infected that explode fungus spores on you? Tess's like, I sure hope not. And then she's like, or ones that, you know, with split open heads that can see in a dark like bats? And they don't like say anything. Then there's just like this loud, distant yell. So they like stop and look around. And Ellie's like, what was that? And Joe's like, let's keep moving. They enter a building. It's it's like this fancy hotel or something like that, maybe. Because uh, uh, Ellie is kind of impressed. She's like, oh, you ever stay at a place like this? There's like this pond inside. There's like even like lily pads in it. They start walking through. And she's like, uh, she's like, I don't know how to swim. And Joe's like, seriously? And she's like, well, they don't exactly have pools in a QZ. And Joel's like, no, smart ass. And he hops off the last step, and the water's just like up to his knees. And she's like, oh. Then she sees his front desk, and she goes there. She's like ringing the bell. She's like, bellhop. She's like, go take this luggage. She starts doing all this stuff like that. She pushes the luggage rack out of the way, and she gets startled because there's like the skeleton falls over. And, it, and she like falls like back against like this piano. And Joel like actually like offers his hand to like help her. They had to climb 10 floors, and at the end of a hall, there's like a cave in. And because they were supposed to go through there. So Tess is going to climb, climb up because she's smaller than Joel. And, you know, Ellie's like, I can do it. They're like, no, because, you know, they, they don't want her to get hurt. They're like, you die. We, you know, we don't get paid or whatever. So Tess climbs up and she's like, it's a mess. It'll be a few minutes for her to, to open something. I don't know what she's going to do. Joel and Ellie sit. Ellie like pops open her knife, starts like tossing it, like flipping, you know, throwing up an earring, like catching it by the handle. And he's like, that's a nice knife. And he's like, where'd you learn to do that? And she's like, the circus, because, like, you know, she's just annoying. And after a bit, she tries making some conversation. She's like, 
so where are you from? He's like, Texas. And Ellie's like, what about Tess? He's like, Detroit. It's in Michigan. She's like, I go to school. I know where Detroit is. Then he's like, so are you two like, he's like, pass. And he's like, how'd you end up in, in Boston? Pass. No more questions about me. Then she's like, how long do the infective live? He's like, oh, I thought you went to school. And she's like, it's a real poopy one. And he's like, well, some last about a month or two, but there have, are others who have been walking around for about 20 years. And she's like, you ever kill one? He's like, yeah, I kill lots of them. And she's like, was it hard, like knowing that they were people once? He's like, sometimes. And she's like, what about that guy last night? And then there's like a muffled thumping and they like both kind of jump up because it's coming back from behind them. It's Tess. So she somehow crawled around into this one of the side rooms and she tells him, she's like, put the gun down. And you know, she comes out she, and she's like, what now? So they go to this balcony. Ellie looks over. There's like a bunch of like infected kind of just like lying in the street. And Tess says that, you know, the last time they were there, they're still like uh, the infected were like deep inside the buildings. So she's like, I guess enough people came through looking for the QZ that, you know, they went in, inside seeking shelter. And then that's how they get more and more, you know, city uh, of the city bit by bit, year after year. Ellie uh, looks at how they react. Cause it's almost like the sun kind of passes over like that. And they just kind of like, like undulate or something like that. And she's like, they're connected. And Tessa's is like more than, you know, it's like the, the fungus also grows underground, long fibers like wires, some of them stretching for over a mile. You step on a patch of cordyceps in one place and you can wake dozens of infected from somewhere else, which that's like sucks. So she's like, now they know where you are and they come. And she's like, you're not immune from being ripped apart. Do you understand? It's important. She's like, I'm trying to keep you alive. So then they're like, so we can't go this way. And Joel's like, museum. So they reach the museum. The front door's open. It's like pitch black inside. Tess is like, there's a way across from the top floor. He's like, we used to take it all the time. Joe checks uh, like this something on, on the ground. I don't know if it's a root or something like that. He kind of smashes it with his rifle, like the, the end. He's like, it's bone dry. He's like, that could mean that they're all finally dead in there. Joe takes out a flashlight and he asks, he's like, did Marlene pack you one of these or just sandwiches? Tess, um, she's, and then Tess is like, more ground rules. She's like, we're going to go slowly. If we come up against anything, you get behind us and you stay there. They enter and Joel's like, yeah, cooked. Ellie gets uh, startled when he's, because there's like a dead body. It looks like kind of fresh. This, this guy in a sweater. Um, there's like blood on his head, his, his hand, whatever, his chest. She's like, what the fudge did that? Like He was like attacked by something. And Tess says softly to Joel, she's like, Maybe he was attacked outside and crawled in through the doors. It's like the door was open. It could have been him. And she's like, you know, I don't hear anything. Ellie asks, like, who, who would you hear? And they both put their hands up. They're like, sure, sure. So she whispers a question again. And she's like, if they're saying, you know, an infected did that because, you know, she when she was attacked, it wasn't anything like that. Joel whispers. She's like, from this point forward, we are silent, not quiet silent he's like no questions just do it so they start going up the stairs and they're like loud and creaky and then there's like this really loud crunch is like ellie accidentally like steps on his like old dry dead arm then they enter this room at the top there's like some display cases and you know stuff like that there there's like some rumbling and there's like a cave-in like out in the hall like behind them ellie and tess have to 
uh, like kind of dive into his room and they get up and there's like loud screech from inside. So closed caption says infected clicking. So it's like, what does that mean? They're, so they're, they're clickers is what they call them. And infected uh, or clicker or whatever slowly walks out and uh, they kind of like duck. Joe mouths to Ellie's like, they can't see, but they can hear. So it like walks past him and Ellie like lets out a little breath and it turns and like screeches at them. Joel starts shooting and it grabs him. He yells, run. So other one comes running out. Tess starts shooting and then she grabs Ellie and they run. They see Joel's rifle get like knocked out of his hand. Tess trips over like a mannequin or something like that. She tells Ellie to run. Joel reloads, reloads a pistol with like one hand and he's like, he's like standing just you know a few feet away. He hears like a noise and he moves. Joel finds Ellie crouching. Then he starts, uh, they start moving and then Joel steps on some broken glass. The infected dives over like this this display case at at Joel and Ellie. He tries like holding it back and he like shoots it a couple times and it comes at them again. Then he shoots it in the neck and it goes down. He shoots it like a few more times, including like a shot to the head. So it's just like, it always seems like that should be the first move, but. I, we don't know at this point if that's the answer because he like when he shot the first one he's like shooting it in the gut or like the chest another one comes running at them joel shoves ellie behind him and then tests like hits it on the side of the head with an axe joel is like able to pick up his rifle he shoots at shoot it at, at, shoots it at the in the head and then like a second shot and it takes it out he asks tess if she's all right and she's like a twisted ankle she's like but yeah he asks Ellie if she's all right, and she's like, well, I didn't poop my pants, so she pulls up her sleeve, and her arm is bleeding. And she's like, are you fudging kidding me? And she sighs. She's like, well, I mean, if it was going to happen to one of us. So she she got <laughs> attacked again or, or something. They go out a window. Tess is, like, in pain, so Joel gives Ellie a handkerchief for her arm. He starts, uh, she starts walking to this plank that's going like from the roof to the building next to it. And he's like, I know it's scary. She's like, that was scary. She's like, this is wood. And she just like calmly walks across it. Like no big deal. He starts like taping Tessa's foot and ankle and says that, you know, there's probably more ahead. And she's like, so we'll deal with it then. And he's like, what about the kid? And he's like, you know, maybe that first bite didn't take, but the second she snaps, she's like, how about you just take the good news? Can you do that? Like to think for once, maybe we could actually win. Just go, go and watch her. And she's, so she's going to finish like wrapping her, her ankle. She's looking out like over the city and he asks if it's everything she had hoped for. And she's like, well, the jury's still out. But she's like, but man, you can't deny that view. Tess comes up and says, she's like, we should get going before it gets dark. So they start climbing down. Uh, he kind of looks down at his watch. You can see he's just like out of instinct or whatever habit. And then he walks after them. At the street level, Joel stares at Ellie and her wrapped arms. So, you know, he's being cautious and suspicious. They're hiding across the street from where they're supposed to go, like the state house or whatever. And Tess whispers, she's like, where the fudge are they? Joel slowly walks toward this truck that's parked there. He opens the door and like points a rifle inside. The other side is, is open and maybe there's blood inside. He motions for them to stay back. He walks around the front. There's a dead body on the ground. He listens at the back, opens it. It's empty. Tess is like, WTF is going on. And he's like, I don't know. Ellie sees like a blood trail and she's like, they went inside. So Tess grabs Ellie's hand and starts going up the stairs. Joel like tries calling you know, after her. Tess opens the door. 
with her gun out and Elliot right, right next to her, there's two more dead bodies inside. And then there's like more than that, that there's other people. Tess is like, there's gotta be a radio, right? And Ellie's like, who killed him? Fedra? And Joel's like, no. So he turns one over. He's like, one of them got bit. He's like, the healthy ones brought the sick ones. Everyone lost. Tess is like, where did Marlene say that she was taking you? So all she knows is just West. And she's like, fine. He's like, one of them has to have a map. And she's like, Joel, can you help me? He's like, no. He's like, Tess, it's over. We are going home. Tess yells. She's like, that's not my fudging home. She's like, I'm staying. She's like, our luck has to run out sooner or or later. Ellie's like, fudge. She's like, she's infected. And Tess scoffs. Joel looks at her and he's like, show me. He's like, Tess. So she moves towards him and he kind of, he almost like flinches, whatever. Then she shows her shoulder. It's, It's pretty bad. And she's like, oops, right? So she tells Ellie to take her bandage off and she grabs Ellie's arm. She's like, look, Joel. She's like, this is real. She's fudging real. I need you to get her to Bill and Frank's. And he's like, no. She's like, they'll take her off your hands and handle it from, from there. And he's like, no. He's like, he's like, no, no, no. It's like, they're not going to take her. Tess is like, they will because you'll convince them. And she says, she's like, I never asked you for anything. Not to feel the way that I felt. She tells them, to, you know, she's like, just shut up when, you know, when you, he tries saying something. She's like, I don't have much time. It's like, this is your chance. You get her there. You keep her alive and you set everything right. It's like all the poop we did. She's like, just please say yes, Joel, please. So one guy on the floor starts moving and like making noise. Joel pulls out his pistol, shoots him to the head. And then there's like some tendrils in his hands. It starts moving elsewhere. Infected start moving since they're connected. So they detected this or whatever. So he runs to the door. There's distant snarling. Tess is like, how many? He's like, all of them. He's like, maybe a minute. So Tess knocks over some barrels. There's like barrels of gas or oil or something like that. Ellie's like, what are you doing? And she's like, you know, making sure they don't follow you. She tosses like a box of grenades on the floor. She goes up to Joel. She's like, save who you can save. Then he grabs Ellie and he starts running. And she's like, no. She's like, we're not leaving her. She's like, I don't want to go with you. Tess is left standing. Then it's like getting loud outside as infected are coming. They start like banging on a door. She has a lighter because she's trying to light this gas or whatever, but it like won't light. It's like, they bust in, they make it in. They're splashing all over the liquid. One moves towards her for some reason. And then like the, the tendrils, the silliest, whatever stuff inside its mouth, it's like moving. It it moves forward and like kisses her. And like the stuff goes inside her, which seems kind of weird. Like, why wouldn't it just bite her? Why would it do that? So she's, you know, she's kind of like in this weird, disgusting embrace. And she's still trying to, you know, continues trying to light the lighter. And she finally gets it. Whoosh, and she drops it. Whoosh, it goes up. Joel and Ellie are running outside. And then the building whoosh, blows up. They like duck and stop. Joel kind of like looks to make sure it's, you know, he, I don't know if he's checking if any of them are following or if he's checking to see if Tess made it out. Then he just like starts heading out. Ellie like looks at the building for a bit. And, you know, maybe the same thing. She's trying to see if Tess is following, whatever. Then she turns around and stares where, like where Joel went. That's the end of the episode. So, uh, yeah, and then and, uh, the behind the scenes stuff, you know, they talk about the clickers. Um, apparently they found like fans of the games who knew how they would move so they could like, you know, do that. 
but they they also talk about like how in in the show there's less spores because in the game there's like supposed to be spores everywhere but they kind of figured that that would be too much it, it would be like too un- it, it would just get everywhere and uh I, I guess they said something it's not the military chasing them like in the game or something like that and they also talked about how like they expanded expanded Tessa's character you know fleshed her out some more and you know like once she understood what ellie is you know there, there's like this instinct like kind of like maternal instinct that comes out or whatever so it's, it's interesting to look at that and you know I, as i mentioned last week i never played the game you know i've always wanted to it's it's so it's it's i guess it's kind of good in a way that i don't because where while they may not go exactly you know note by note for from the game there's certain things like you know that Tess isn't going to make it. You know something's going to happen. Again, whether she dies, gets separated, something happens to her, because it's just it's got to be Joel and Ellie, right? Because that's what all the, the promo images are. It's just this dude and this little girl. So now at this point, I have absolutely no idea what's coming out because I've I've done my best to avoid you know any and all spoilers or discussions about the game. So I'm enjoying the show. And uh, we'll we'll talk about the next one next week. All right, with Star Wars: The Bad Batch, season two, episode five, Entombed. Um, this wasn't one of my favorite episodes, and I have a, a couple students that are like really in, into the show, and uh, they they claim that they don't like Omega. I think that they have a crush on Omega or something like that, but they they really supposedly can't stand her. Um, but anyways, what one of the stu- um, students said is like this: "There's like nothing happened this episode. It was you know it was a waste of an episode." And I guess that that's kind of true. They they kind of felt that that way about last week's episode. I felt last week's was important in some way to set. Up. I mean, well, I guess there wasn't a whole lot. It just established that there's some questionable stuff with Sid in her past. But this one, I guess, there wasn't really a whole lot. So it starts off. Wrecker and Omega are like in this junkyard. They're looking for this compressor. Omega finds some other stuff. And it's like, is this like baby toys? It's like, what is other stuff? They go to SIDS. Um, that one uh, uh, other pirate, uh, Fee Giona, I think that was her name, is like telling this story. She, she just uh, uh, embellishes a lot of stuff. And, um, you know, because like tech comments to Hunter and Zero that the story changes every time she tells it, whatever. Wrecker comes in laughing, you know, mission accomplished. He has a compressor. Um, Tech says, you know, he's like, oh, you could have probably left this other stuff. You know, he looks at us all junk. But V has a look. And there's this one, like, this circular thing that catches her interest. And she's like, oh, there's look at these coordinate markings. She asks her droid to take a look. And she says, it's like, it's a compass from, like, before their time. You know, the coordinates are in, in the Kaldar trin- trinary system or something like that. And Tech's like, he's like, oh, I have no record of, of that. Um, system and she's like that's because like the best treasures usually aren't found on maps omega gets super excited about a treasure or whatever and hunter says that uh you know fee says a lot of things but fee's like well she's like i can go alone and take the spoils for myself or we can go together and split it 50 50 and wrecker says is like well they're not on a mission and omega's like yeah and it could be fun so zero's like well the last time we went on a treasure you know hunt it you know it, it didn't go as planned so Hunter sighs, but of course he gives in because, you know, he wants Omega to be happy. So they land on this planet. Um, they're not getting any readings, anything. And then the, the compass kind of like activate on its own. And uh, the signal tells them like which way to go. They reach this like rock formation. Um, then Fee like moves this one and there's like this draft behind her or something like that. So she asks Wrecker for help. 
there's like some secret entrance behind it, whatever. So they enter and this like creature, like whatever growls from like outside. Echo tells Hunter that the etching on the walls have to be um, at least like a thousand years old. Uh, Fee's just like, it's like, oh, they're older. And then um, Fee thinks that they're in the entranceway to the Sacrana or something like that. You know, they don't know what that is. She's, she's like every pirate out there has heard the legend of, of Scara, Scarana. I don't remember what it was. Scaranal. And um, it dates back to the ancients. And Echo's like, you mean the Jedi? And she's like, no, older. So there's supposed to be like some treasure that's like really old or whatever. So Wrecker asks like, what kind of treasure is in there? And she says it's the heart of the mountain and that they're going to go and liberate it. So how did it get it? Fee says that there's a, a pattern, like a, there's like these big like kind of blocks sticking out. So you need to like kind of push them and, and align the patterns in the right order. Um, so, you, you know, you can just like slide the sections of the wall. Wrecker pushes... Um, the one or a second one and then there, there's like some rumbling and, and the door closes so fee jumps at wrecker and and like pushes him aside and then she's like booby traps so now she's like now it's getting interesting then i i think hunter it might have been hunter says like he's like oh not, you just trapped us here and she's like oh relax there's always a way out omega like looks through the center part of the compass and it's like kind of clearish and she sees it like some parts on the walls are glowing. So then Fee asks her to lay the compass on her lantern and then the room kind of glows purple through the, the, the glass and then the shiny parts can be seen on the wall so they can line it up and then get out, a way out of that room. So this door opens this long hallway and they, they see this hole like in the ceiling and some creature attacks them. They like shoot it, there's a cave-in. Um, they kind of get separated, Hunter, Fee and Omega are in one group. You know, so they're like walking. He's like, oh, this is too easy. Then they notice there's more symbols like on the ceiling. Um, and then as Hunter's walking, the floor falls, but he manages to climb up. You know, he has like a grappling hook or something like that. Then Hunter and Fee are kind of bickering. Omega notices that there's this like hole slot in the wall and the, the circular compass thing fits in there. And I think she uh, like kind of rotates it a little bit so that the ceiling lights up. So yeah, well, she turns the wall thing and then the lights in the ceiling now shift to like to the floor tech tells uh rucker and zero you know something is blocking them or whatever the, there's this other big circle thing in the wall it rotates open they get to the treasure he turns it and like pulls it out like this heart of the mountain thing and then the whole place starts rumbling there's more traps then there's like more lights and then outside this big energy blast shoots from like the top because like they're in this big like kind of walking tank thing whatever because tech's like, that's highly destructive. Like, so removing, apparently removing the heart of the mountain activated it. So he's like, well, perhaps, you know, they have to return it to its proper place to deactivate it. But he like holds it tightly. And she's like, you know how much this is worth? It's like, it's what we came for. And she's like, you can't find another kill switch or something. Hunter's like, he's like, well, our ship is out there. If it gets destroyed, we're trapped on this planet. So she's finally like, okay, but you owe me. It's like, really? So then this creature pries its way inside. The heart falls, but Fee manages to get it. Uh, you know, it falls on this one like crack and it goes in this other level. The whole structure's just like walking along. And then she goes, she almost like falls out the window and Hunter like grabs her arm. The others are like shooting at the, the creatures as attacking them, whatever. Shoots at this window. They throw the beast out. Um, Tech can't do anything to, to stop this ship this sort of walker thing whatever it fires up and it's like about to shoot again like in a direction like where their ship is at they manage to get the heart back get back in barely in time and then it just like melts away so the whole structure shorts out and it tips over
So tech's like, well, that, that puts us at 0 for 2 for treasure hunting, even with a professional, you know, making fun of like fee or whatever. They walk back to their ship and Hunter says like, well, at least no one can activate that thing. And she's like, see, so you're saying it must be a good thing that we came. And that was the end. So, I mean, I, I guess them going was a, a good thing because it took this potential weapon out of the hands of, you know, someone else finding it at some point. But uh, I don't know. So there you go. That I mean, and that was it. So it's like nothing, nothing else really happened. Uh, okay. How many episodes are left? It's, 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 it is, it, I guess I have to agree. It does seem like kind of a waste. It's a big, you know, it was an adventure, but I don't know. I mean, our, you know, we're limited on how much time, you know, we, how many episodes we have. Then with a uh, national treasure season one, episode eight <laughs> prison break. So Jess believes that you know she found her father he's in jail and billy knows she, she saw billy in the lobby of the prison or whatever so she knows billy is aware she's there so she's like i have to break him out or billy's gonna kill him so it, it, it picks up where the last episode ends um Raphael picks up like the talking phone he's like billy and she's like i knew i wasn't going to find the real salazar here you know of course she did you know, she knows everything because she's such a smarty pants and she's like, but I had no idea I would find my brother's killer. And Raphael is like, what? He's like, no, is that what Salazar told you? He's like, well, of course that's what he told you. He's like, I didn't kill Sebastian. It's like Salazar did. And she's like, you lied your way into our group. You betrayed us. Now you expect me to believe you? Raphael says that her brother was pinned under rubble, begging for his life, and Salazar stood over him. He you know, called him a liability, and then he shot him. And she's like, let's just stick to the facts. And she's like, you robbed the bank under the name of Salazar. Now your daughter has two to relics. He's like, she has two? Billy's like, and I guess you either found a third relic in that well or you know where it is. Either way, your daughter's going after it. Tell me where it is and I'll spare your daughter. He looks at her and he's like, well, you can't get to her. She's long gone. We'll see about that. You're about to learn how it feels to lose the person you love more than anything else in the world. And then she leaves. It's like, oh my gosh, I, I I get that she's supposed to be all powerful and knowledgeable and everything, but I, I almost feel like she feels she's untouchable. She can do whatever she wants. You know, she can just kill whoever, no no fear of consequences. And like maybe that's what power whatever does to you, power and money. At the motel, they're questioning Jess on her idea of breaking her dad out of prison. Orin's like, that's insane. And she's like, it's the only, he's the only family I got. And she's like, if I don't break him out, Billy's going to kill him. Oren's like, we should go to the federales then. And Tasha's like, what are they supposed to do? And she's like, you know, what would we tell him? A prisoner's going to get killed? It's like, why would they care? And, she, and she's like, and we have no proof. Oren's like, this isn't an escape room, which is what I was thinking. He's like, this is real life. And he looks at Ethan. Ethan's just sitting there quiet. He's like, come on, dude. He's like, back me up. He looks at Jess. Because he's like so smitten with her, you know, obviously he doesn't want to tell her that she's wrong. But but then Jess says that, no, Oren's right. And she's like, that's why I'm not asking any of you to do this. And Ethan's right away. He's like, you don't have to. I'm in. And Tasha says that I'm in too. And Oren's like, what? Tasha's like, Jess is going to do this either way, whether we help her or not. Oren's like, I didn't realize that out of all of us, I'd be the voice of reason. 
He's, he's like, this is a next level felony. He's like, I'm begging you not to do this. And she's like, I have to. And he's like, well, I'm not just going to sit around and let my best friends make the biggest mistake of their lives. He like starts picking up his bag and everything. And Jess is like, you're right. He's like, I think you should go home. You know, if we get caught, they'll think you're an accessory. And Ethan's like, if we get caught, we're going to need someone stateside fighting for our extradition. It seems like that's something Ethan should do. You know, he's the, the lawyer, whatever, in the group. So um, the nurse dude, uh, I think his name is Miles. Uh, he shows Liam that there's a, a tracker in a, in a phone or something like that. Billy tracks everyone. She was tracking his grandfather with his SIM chip too or something like that. She had her eyes on him for 10 years while they're trying to uh, finish a treasure hunt. Liam's like, he asks if he was there when Billy killed his grandpa. And he's like, I had the night off. He's like, she didn't want any witnesses. So then he's like, well, how do we find Jess? Uh, the dude, Miles, he, he says that they have to get a phone from one of Billy's teams. That'll give them access to Billy's trackers. Then they can find Jess. Tasha's digging on her laptop. She's looking at prison records. In 2013, it was upgraded from the old popular direct building design or something to the modular remote model. Surveillance is upgraded with less distractions between inmates and guards. Um, they start listing all these ideas, like what they could do. Then Jess asks, was like, well, what about cutting the power to the lights and the locks? Tasha's like, well, the generators would kick in. Ethan suggests opening all the cell locks and let all the prisoners out cause a riot. But all the cells are apparently locked manually, which doesn't make any sense, but whatever. Oren says that his taxi's here, so he has to go. He hands his keys to Tasha, and she gives him his phone back. And she's like, don't turn on until you cross the border. They hug. And then uh, he's out the door, or he's about to go out the door, and he turns and says that, you know, he's like, I was thinking, in Katrina, when the prisons flooded, it led to prison reform. Now a flood leads right into automatic drainage ducts. America finally caught up with the international standard. And then he's like, good luck. I was like, why would Orrin know this about prisons? I don't know. Dumb Ethan's like, Katrina? What's he talking about? And Tasha's like, I think he just told us how to break into the prison. So at the prison, Raphael puts up a drawing of Manuela. He gets on his knees and starts praying. He's like, he's like talking to her. Um, and he, you know, she always told him to, to pray more. And he's like, look, I'm finally doing what, what I was told. And he's like, I'm sorry, you know, I wasn't there for you at, at the end. You know, he's like, Hazita has your voice, your eyes. And he's like, she's you even in spirit. But the, the treasure is at stake again. And Hazita's life is as well. So he says that he's broken a bunch of promises to her, but not this one. He promises that he will save her. Then this guard calls him. His new shoes arrived. And he's like, oh, I ordered them a long time ago. It's like, I thought they'd never come. But it's like, clearly, Billy must have put a tracker in him. I don't know. That was my first thought. Jess talks to Ethan out in the balcony. And he's like, why would you let me do this? And, you know, he's like, I'm an American citizen. He's like, you know, I could have the whole government on my side if, if something goes wrong. And, you know, there's more consequences for her. And she's like, it's my dad. It's my problem. And, but she's like, but seriously, thanks for being here. And he like, he thanks her. He's like, you learn a lot more about the law when you're breaking it. And she just kind of laughs. Then Tasha calls him from inside. Her algorithm's working. <laughs> so she made some algorithm, right? She repurposed it from a piece of ransomware. It was developed by pirates who stop oil from running through American pipelines with some tweaks she can disrupt the, the water runoff system instead. So there's this culvert off the ro road outside the prison that'll lead just to the main water runoff. Then she'll run her algorithm 
and the system will react to what it thinks is a flood. So she'll have 10 minutes to get in and her dad out. So she goes to the pipe. There's this uh, a ladder that will go up to the showers where there's no guards or cameras. Once she's past the showers, her dad cells at the end of this hall. So to unlock the cell, the prison uses standard Worrell uh, wafer lock on all the cells or something like that. So she's going she's to have to pick the lock, which I guess she already knows how. Jess gets to the, the cell and the door is open and Raphael's sleeping. She goes to the cot and it's just pillows under the blanket. Then she hears something. So she ducks under the blankets. This guard comes in. He's like, Salazar. He's like, why is your, your door open? And he's like, are you trying to escape again? He pulls the cover and he finds Jess and she's just looking at him like wide eyed, like shock. Then Raphael puts him in a sleeper hold and like knocks him out. He's like, what are you doing? And she's like, what am I doing? What are you doing? And you know, she says that she thought that Billy was going to kill him, so she broke in to save him. He's like, you did? And he says that you know Billy was, was going to kill her, so he was breaking out to save her. So they're both trying to save each other. Tasha tells Ethan that the, the water's filling, um, so she, she's like, she can't come back this way. Jess asked her dad if he has a way out because she just ran out of time on hers, and he takes the guard's keys and they, they go off. There's a police siren behind Ethan and, and Tasha, um, so she thinks it's like they must have caught her. He's like, no, it's like no alarms went off. So he's like, the, the guard comes up. He, he asks him what they're doing in Spanish. And Ethan's like, oh, sorry. He's like, no, no Spanish. And he's like, oh, you Americanos? And he asks for their ID. Rafael says that once they get out, um, if they get out, that they'll have to get the third relic. She's like, I already did. And he's like, well, I was right. And he says that he's like, never let them out of your sight. So they're like in this laundry area and he pushes this big shelf out of way and there's like a hole in the wall. It leads to like the old prison wing because they just like sealed it off when they're, you know, re re remodeling everything. And then they talk about like they have to watch out for prison rats because they're not like normal rats, whatever. They finally get outside. And then he says that he has to tell her that, you know, he tried escaping many times, but he never made it past this part. He's like, because of that sniper tower. <laughs> He's like, for that, you need two people. Um, but... Uh, you know, uh, he up until now he never trusted anyone. So he digs out a, a couple things like in the, in the, the the yard, the grass. He hands her like these like cutters to cut the fence, and then he's holding a mirror. And he says that he'll blind a sniper when he, the sniper tries to shoot her. And she's like, like kind of like, are you serious? So he wants her to run across the yard, and then he's going to blind a sniper. At the van, the guard hands her IDs back. Says that he's like, I know what you're doing here. So it's like, uh oh. He's like, I was young once, but this is a restricted area. He's like, this is not a place for romance. So he's like, you need to move on. Uh, the guard in Raphael's cell wakes up, so he yells for help. Jess tells her dad, he's like, his plan is crazy. And she, he's like, you just have to trust me. And she's like, trust you, I just met you. And he's like, well, I'm your dad. He's like, we have the same blood. And then the alarms go off. And he tells her, he's like, go. She starts running, it's like slow motion. Then the, the guard drops his water bottle. He takes aim. Just sees him like raising his, you know, his scope at him. The guard has her in his sight. Then light reflection. He shoots. The bullet hits the ground right behind her foot. She like stumbles but keeps running. He readies. He shoots again. Um, she like slides and starts like cutting at the fence. The guard turns to Raphael. Uh, he tries blinding him again. Shoots the wall like right next to him. And then I don't understand his his reasoning here. He just drops the mirror. And he like falls to his knees with his arms out. Like, I guess he's sacrificing himself for Jess, but it's like, you're going to get shot. There's, there's going to be like no forgiven, you know, for whatever. 
he's like uh, looks at Jess. He closes his eye. Pew, the guard falls. So he someone shot the guard. Raphael runs. He stumbles. Runs. And Tasha and Ethan pull up in a van, which is conveniently in time. And Jess is like, "You're supposed to leave if anything went wrong." And she's like, "Yeah, we are, but with you." Ethan's like, "We heard gunshots." And Raphael's like, "He's asked them if they shot the sniper." And and Ethan's like, "There's a sniper." Raphael's like, "You don't." He's like, "Wait, I don't understand." And he's then you know he asks, "Who are they?" Jess is like, "Oh, they're my friends, Tasha and Ethan." And Raphael's like, "You help her break me out of prison? You have good friends." So he asks, uh, where are the relics? And Jess is like, right here. And she's, you know, holds up a bag. So he reaches, but then she like pulls his hand back. Ethan's like, you just broke out of prison and you're talking about the relics. Raphael's like, the treasure is the only thing that matters. And he says like, you know, the, pol- the police will only be after him. He's like, they didn't see them. But Jess is like, no, the guard saw me. But it's like he got shot. So I, I thought, I assumed he got like shot in the head, but I guess he could have got shot in the arm or somewhere. But the question is who shot him? Do we really need to ask that? Oren walks. Yeah, he's he made it to Ethan's already. He he walks in, turns on his phone, tries calling Tasha's burner phone. He gets like a whatever you know, just her, her voicemail. Then he gets a call from Money Man Keith Hessler, whatever. And he just like well, he's like, whatever. Um, he's like, come on, Tasha. He's like, I just want to make sure you guys are safe. And then you hear, safe from what? Agent Ross is at the door. She just like stepped inside because I guess he left the door open. So she just helped herself to walk in instead of knocking. She introduced herself, says that, you know, she's looking for his friends who are, he's clearly worried about. So I was like, where are they? He says, he's like, oh, I don't know. He's like, I've just been trying to get a hold of them. He's, he's like, I was at a shoe convention. And she's like, a shoe convention in Mexico? Because the luggage tag are still in his suitcase. And I guess she managed to see it from like across the room. And she's like, look, it's like, ever since your friends came into my office, it's been a tidal wave of crazy. She's like, I've got a crypto queen, murdered FBI agent, a breaking at Graceland, a stolen historical journal about a dog, an incident at the Alamo, and now a recording of your friend, Jess, threatening Peter Sadusky has surfaced. So she's like, Jess is in a lot of danger, and I'm just trying to help. And he's like, I don't know what to tell you. I was at a shoe convention. Nurse dude is outside Liam's. This SUV pulls up. It's Dario, the, the computer guy, and some other guys driving. He's like, what do you want? He's like, I'm a busy man. And then uh, nurse dude's like, Liam Sadusky's alive. And Dario's like, that's impossible. Casey took him out. And then he, uh, nurse dude's like, then why is he all over Instagram playing at Squeaky Pete's the other night? Dario asks, he's like, why did you call a cleanup crew to finish a job? And Miles is like, I because I don't know who he talked to about Billy. I figured you'd want to question him. You know, he, it's like I got him tied up inside. Dario tells the driver guy to wait there. They go in. Dario pulls out his gun. They go into study. Liam is tied up and gagged. So it's like, wait, did Miles turn on him? No, he didn't. Uh, Dario says he's that he's like you should have left town when you had the chance. He's like now you're gonna have to answer some questions. He presses the gun to his knee like he's about to shoot. Muffled screams or anything like that. The nurse dude stabs Dario in the neck with a needle. He's like out like right away. Liam wasn't tied up. He pulls a gag down. His hands were just behind his, his back. Nurse dude says that he brought a friend so he'd better hurry. Takes his phone. Somehow turns it on with his unconscious body. I didn't think that facial recognition works that way but whatever. Um, Liam sees like the wallpaper on his phone. It's like cross S Nostrum. He's like, I've seen that before. He's like, what's it mean? Nurse dude. He's like, I don't know. He's like, this is like the company model or something. Um, Miles works on the phone and connects it to the laptop. 
Liam goes to a pile of mail on the floor, he, there was this book with like a paper cover that it was like in the mail that his grandfather sent or something like that. And the motto's written on it. He turns to the title page and it's like the book of famous lost treasures. The Miles gets in, globe appears, red dots are, are all the people that Billy's tracking. And he's like, Oh, that's a hell of a lot of people. And miles scrolls through the names and he's like, there's Casey. Um, she's the one who took you out. So wherever she is, Billy is Ross. Meanwhile, talks to her supervisor he says, uh, you know, good job. You found Sadusky's killer or something like that. Jess and her dad leave the van and she tells Tasha that, and Ethan that they need to get back across the border. The longer they're in Mexico, the bigger chance of them getting into trouble. Um, and, they, you know, they, they can't be seen with them. So Tasha asks Raphael if she's sure that his guy can get them across to the States. And he's like, oh, absolutely. He's like, you know, my guy got Manuela and Hasita, you know, across 20 years ago. You know, he's the best. And Jess is like, we'll see you tomorrow. So Jess asks him, he's like, well, where do we find this guy? He's like, well, we have to get my, my book first. And she's like, book? And he's like, it's a book that only, you know, me and your mother knew about. Phone pings. Um, Mina sent a text to Jess. Look who went viral. So she watches a video from Graceland and Smile. And dad's like, who's that guy, huh? <laughs> you know, he's like, looks over his shoulder. Jess is like, let's just get your book. Then in Spanish, she's like, oh, a redhead, huh? At Liam's, uh, the driver guy's impatient. He texts Dario. It, and when they get the text on his phone, it's like in a different language. So it's like, is it code or is it? Because it, it, like even like not even regular like letters. So Miles... He's like, um, I don't see Jess's name anywhere. And Liam's like, hold on. He's like, I see mine and my dad's. He's like, they're tracking him for years. He scrolls through and finds uh, the day that he disappeared. He's like, he was nowhere near the river. He supposedly drowned. And he's like, wait, did Billy kill my dad too? Miles like, I don't know. But if she did, she didn't do it herself. He's like, she doesn't get her hands dirty. She's too smart for that. Billy and Casey are driving um, in Mexico. And Casey's looking at a tablet. And she's like, huh. Dario's in our tracking system. He just opened a Sadusky file. Billy's like, that doesn't sound like him. So Billy calls. Liam answers, or he because Miles like, don't no, don't answer it. And he's like, sorry to disappoint, but Dario's a little tied up at the moment. Billy's just like, Liam Sadusky. Casey whispers, like, I threw him in a river. He should be dead. So Liam clearly heard this because she's on speakerphone. And he's like, Yeah, well, I'm not. She asks if Miles finished fished him out. And she's like, I guess he's with you. Tell him he's fired. He'll know what that means. And Liam's like, I know you killed my grandpa, and I'm pretty sure you killed my dad, and I'm coming for you. She's like, your father tried that once. Didn't turn out so well. Miles grabs the phone and like smashes it. He's like, she can track them. So Billy tells Casey to find out where Dario is and send a team. Miles says that they have to get out of there. Then they hear the driver dude coming. So he apparently knows exactly where to go because he heads like straight for the study. Kicks the door open. Liam and Miles are hiding on the other side of the desk. Um, the driver goes into the clue room and then they shut the door behind them. He like he shoots a, a couple shots, but they manage to get the door closed. But it turns out Miles got shot dead center in the chest. And then several SUVs pull up to the house. So I guess they happen to be like two minutes away. They get there like right away. Liam grabs a book uh, or off the desk. What I think it was, I think he grabbed the book. Then he, he goes out the window that that gray haired long dude like jumped through. They come into room. They, they, they check and they're like, miles is dead. Then they, they can hear the driver yelling in the other room, the, the locked room. 
Jess and her dad reach this big tree. He's like, oh, it's 100 years old. It's sacred. And Jess is like, that's a tree from mom's picture of the three of us when I was a baby. And he's like, your mom kept that picture? And Jess is like, yeah, she kind of folded you out. And then he, to himself, he's like, well, yeah, at least she kept it. He says the tree is like a religious site. It's used for weddings and funerals. Um, it's always protected, which makes it the perfect place to hide something. He reaches in like between like the folds of the tree or whatever, and he pulls out like a bag with like in that old book. It's his journal. He's like years of research from the treasure. It's, it's how he met her mom. He went to her because she was an expert on Malinche, and he he saw or she saw his necklace, which was given to him by his mother, who was a daughter of the plume serpent. Tasha and Ethan made across the border. They stop at this gas station. They walk out and an SUV surround them. FBI, hands up. And now I don't know what I would do, but Tasha, you know, they got snacks and stuff like that. She has a drink and she just like drops it. I don't know. I mean, would she be allowed to set it down gently or would they like think that that's not, a, I mean, maybe it's a smart move to just drop it, but it's like, oh man, that's like, that's a, you lost your drink. Uh, Oren walks into Ethan's, and uh, Liam is, is sitting there. He runs up to him, hugs him. He's like, dude, where have you been? Liam's like, more importantly, he's like, where's Jess? And he's like, in Mexico? Liam's like, why? He's like, that's not good. And he, he thinks uh, Billy's in Mexico, you know, according to the, the logs or whatever. Oren says, he's like, oh, yeah, I know. And you know, he hasn't been able to get a hold of anyone. He, he's supposed to have heard from them by now. Jess is, is laying out the, the map pieces of the relic. And he's like, what are those? And He's like, where's the relics? And she's telling that the relics were puzzle boxes and the treasure map was hidden on the inside. He's like, puzzle boxes? You figured that out? And she's like, oh, it wasn't that hard. And he's he says that she did it. You know, he points to the tree and she's like, yeah, X marks a spot. He's like, no. He's And he opens his journal. He's like, X is a Mayan symbol for sky. And she's like, this isn't a map of the ground. This is, And this isn't a river. This is a map of the sky. So the daughters are showing us the location of the treasure with the constellations. The river is the Milky Way, and all these dots are the stars. So he says that uh, the, the thing that the Mayan, the Incan, and the Aztecs had in common was their master's mastery of the stars. She pulls out her phone. He's like, what's that? And she's like, it's a star map app. And he's like, what's an app? Because he's been in jail all this time for 20 years or however long. She enters some stuff and it says that they need more reference points. So Jess looks and wonders why there's one star on the map that's so different. And Raphael is because that's not a star, it's a planet. He opens up a journal and he, it's, he says it's Venus. Um, Quetzalcoatl was associated with Venus, God of the Morning Star. It was important for the daughters to navigate. It's the brightest thing in the sky besides the sun and the moon. So she enters at whatever information. It points to a place called Devil Swamp. It's 50 miles outside of Vicksburg, Mississippi. Then a car pulls up and she's like, is that your friend? Um, then he says, he's like, get the map. It's a long haired dude. Jess is like, I know him. He's like, he attacked me and he stole all the clues. He raised his hand. He's like, I'm not here to hurt you. And he's like, you work for Salazar? He's like, no, I don't. Salazar is who I'm trying to stop. Raphael asks if he knows where Salazar is. He's like, he's everywhere at once. He's more than one man. He's like, the name is a mantle. He's like, he's a leader of a group of treasure hunters over time, dating back to ancient Egypt. So it seems that is Salazar an Egyptian name? I don't know. He's like, you need to stop searching for the treasure. You're going to lead them right to it. And she's like, he's lying. He says, he's like, you have to believe me. He's like, I came all this way to right in the chest. Casey's leaning out the window while Billy's driving and she's got a sniper rifle and she shoots him. 
there's like two other SUVs with them. Uh, Raphael tells her to take the map and go. And he's, he's, he says that he doesn't matter. So she needs to go. But where is she going to go? There's just like nowhere for them to go. She runs like maybe 20 feet and hides behind this, this boulder. Raphael gets like punched or something. You can hear like, and Billy calls out, Jess, I have your father here. You have two choices. Come out with the treasure map or live with your father's blood on your hands. And she says that, you know, she didn't get out of that prison alone. She paid off a guard to turn a blind eye and that mysterious gunshot that took out the sniper. Well, that was Casey. She's like, I put a tracker in your father's shoe. Of course she did. And I heard everything. Tracker has a microphone, apparently, I guess. So I know about the devil's swamps. So you have to know by now, I'm always one step ahead. Just thinks she touches a necklace. There's nowhere for her to go. So she pops out with her hands up. She hands over the backpack. Good girl. And then goons grab her and Raphael and take them to the SUVs. That's the end of the episode. So the prison breakout, I guess, worked. They survived it. They didn't kill Raphael right then and there, but we'll see. They and and you know for being such a smarty pants or anything, it's like she's getting all her information from Jess. But I guess that's what she does: uses her money and power to get what she wants. All right, with Velma, I I, I, I told myself I was going to stop covering this show, but uh, whatever. Season one, episode five, marching band sleepover. So I'm I'm just going to try to go faster. Velma is annoyed because Norville won't text her back. You know, she's she's so annoyingly just using him. All she cares about is herself and her problems. The um, marching band sleepover is supposed to be in the gym tonight, and she, like, forgot about that. She's supposed to go to that. The mayor talks to the school. The cops assigned to the school quit because they were being sexually harassed because all the, the hot girls want their protection and stuff like that. They're, like, trying to twerk on them and stuff like that. So they decide um, for a 9 p.m. curfew, and um, school events have been canceled. I start, start listing them all. And then Velma's happy because the, the, the marching band sleepover is canceled too. So she didn't want to go to that, I guess. Daphne decides to go to the mines to search for clues. And then someone grabs her. Fred is, is waiting for Velma. Uh, he wants to win her over. And he says he found something about her mom. He found some papers in his dad's office. The house used to be owned by this woman who did experiments at the insane asylum. Velma finds out that Norville has a girlfriend and she, she kicks open the, the door to school paper room and uh, he's kissing Gigi. Velma's like, I'm not mad. And she's like, you can talk to her about your swords and boring stuff and we can focus on finding my mom. And he's like, whoa, whoa, wait, we've decided that I should spend less time with you. Velma's like, but I only see you when I need you as is. So she's only, the only time she sees him was when she needs him to use him. Gigi's like, sorry, until Norvell learns to stand up for himself, he's going to do as I say. <laughs> Daphne sees two people dressed as Captain Caveman. They're like, kind of like in mascot costumes, I guess. They say that they're her parents and they have to hide their identities until they know they can trust her. She mentions, she's like, you abandoned me. And dad's like, your mom stole you from us. And she's like, they found me wrapped in a blanket in a cornfield. And they're like, why don't you look, the, look up the Crystal Mines game? Then at the Historical Society, Velma looks into the mad scientist files or whatever, um, this Dr. Purdue, they're, and they're missing. The last person to check them out was her mom. And then she starts hallucinating, and Fred can't make her laugh. So she, I guess, has a heart attack again. Uh, 
at the diner. Velma's talking about needing Norville back. She's going to have uh, have to have the marching band sleepover at her house to get Norville to come, which is just ridiculous. Daphne looks up the Crystal Mine gang. She looks up you know information about them. Then Daphne wants to talk to Velma. Norvell shows up, and Daphne tries talking to him that she may have found her parents, but Velma takes him away because she's so selfish. It turns out that Gigi joined, and only band members were allowed in the house. You know they have to their ideas. They have to play like their instrument or something like that. But Gigi's there because it turns out she joined band because Norvell made it sound so interesting. And so she just went to the register or whatever. So then there's like a flute off between uh, Gigi and Velma, which is whatever. Then later Velma goes to talk to Gigi in the bathroom. And she's like, Norva was mine way before you. I'm only going to say this once. And then she gets on her knees. She's like, please, please let, let him help me. Daphne is at home with her mom since there's a curfew. Then uh, she brings up the adoption and they answer a question in unison. like it was rehearsed. They're like, we found you in a cornfield in a, in a crater. And whatever. Daphne's like, that's not like Superman's origin. And they're like, we don't know who that is. But then like right next to him, there's like a shelf with a bunch of Superman stuff. Velma keeps pushing Gigi. You know, there, there's stuff going on with his family that, that um, Velma apparently doesn't know. Velma ends up tricking her to tell her she's like oh you mean that it's like yeah then they're like you don't know you know they're like you don't know what i'm talking about or you don't know anything then velma's like okay on three why don't we both say it to see so she tricked Gigi into telling her the, the secret was that norvell or his uh dr edna purdue is norvell's grandmother oh and it turns out that they need food for the band kids the kids are starting to get like uh their blood sugar or whatever they need food to take their pills or they start going crazy or whatever Daphne um, goes on the street. Uh, there's, there's like a boat down in the manhole. There's like a, uh, whether it's a, it's like a stream down there or maybe it's just sewer water. She sneaks out and she goes down the manhole into the boat. Velma blackmails Norville's mom to find out about Dr. Purdue because they were out uh dressed up as like a cow and like a milker or something like that. And they get arrested for being out past curfew. And she was, went out and she, whatever. So she has like a picture of them and Velma comes home and she finds that the place is immaculate. She thought the place was going to be true. Oh, cause uh, her new sister is supposed to be coming home. And her dad's kept saying how he wants to, you know, Sophie's going to want the house like immaculate and super clean. It's, it is clean. So Nor I guess Norville apparently threatened the band kids to clean up the place. Daphne arrives at the mines. Her parents take off their costume. So it's Carol and Darren. Uh, and then the rest of the Crystal Mines gang comes out. So Darren is the wanted poster guy that was in jail that broke out of jail. So that's Daphne's dad, supposedly. That's episode five. Episode six, the sins of the fathers and some of the mothers. So see, I told you I'm going to try to do this faster. Um, Velma this is talking about crappy parents, whatever. She's like, the worst is her dad. Her dad is a taking paternity leave um, but she's like you doubled your hours when i was born Gigi lets norville help velma uh not hallucinate while his mom talks to her about her med scientist mother so in the 70s she was a brilliant neurosurgeon uh she found a way she could keep a brain alive outside the body so then uh and the brain's like i shouldn't have been a, a donor potty donor the army heard about this and they wanted to use it in the 70s, so this again, in the 70s, there's meddling kids were ruining everything. And so they were trying to infiltrate the meddling kids, 
you know, they, they tried posing as kids, but they were figured out or whatever. So they figured if they could put a soldier's brain into the head of a meddling kid, they could, you know, infiltrate them. They called the program the Special Covert, so capital C, capital O, Special Covert Operations Brain Initiative, or SCOOBY, S-C-O-O-B-I-E. Special Covert Operations Brain Initiative. And Velma's was like, Scooby? It's like, what did Scooby do? Ha, ha, ha. It turns out it didn't work. Um, so Dr. Purdue slowly went insane. She was committed to the Crystal Cove Insane Asylum or whatever. Velma says that her mom went missing after finding Dr. Purdue's journals. And all the dead girls had their brains removed. So could they be connected? Daphne goes back to the mines. Her dad says to the other, she's like, not a word about why we really need her until we know we can trust her. And then he has this like piece of clothing in his back pocket and has Brenda's name. And Brenda was like the, one of the girls that was murdered. Velma wakes up from an adrenaline needle, whatever in her arms. So Norvell's mom said that she's not telling her anything else about her mom until her hallucination stopped because there's only one more adrenaline uh, shot. And she wants to have like sh- shrimp tacos or something for lunch. And she's allergic, whatever. But anyways, talking with Norvell, she figures out that she has hallucinations because she has daddy issues. Her mom was, you know, her saying her mom was kidnapped upsets her dad and just makes it harder for him to love her. So she's like, ew, I have daddy issues. The diner, they go to diner, it, um, or she goes with her dad. It turns out it's a strip club. And, and he says that he told Sophie he needs to spend the rest of his paternity leave with Velma. So he feels bad. Fred tells Velma to thank her dad because he helped um, his dad by just a, a dancer named Chestiny. Um, so they, they bought Chestiny's contract from the strip club so that they could date and he could get his head sorted out because Fred's dad doesn't want him liking Velma. He wants him liking someone else, I guess. She realizes that her dad told Sophie that he wanted to spend his paternity leave with her so that he could work while she was at school. Velma goes to Norville's mom. She's sure she won't hallucinate now that her dad is dead to her. Inside the box is a picture of Norville's mom and um, his grandma, her mom's mom, or his mom's mom. Then she says that after her mom died, the house went up for sale and Fred's family bought it. That's when Velma's mom got interested in, in Dr. Purdue. Then her mom, Dia, her mom, discovered the one thing that Purdue never intended anyone to find out her journals at the, at the historical society. So that's how she learned that she was her mom and that her secret lab was buried under the house. So Velma says, so that's what she was doing at Fred's house on Christmas, looking for Dr. Purdue's secret lab before Fred's family moved in. Then she's like, how does this connect Dia to the dead girls? Norvell's mom says that only there's only one explanation. Dia opened the lab and then the ghost of Dr. Edna Purdue has returned to finish her work. And Velma's like, wait, are you saying my mom was taken by the ghost of your mom? Daphne returns to the mines. Only her dad is there. All the crystals are gone. And she's like, are you leaving already? Because they had some plan with the crystals and stuff. She says that there's still so much more that she needs to know. He's like, the only thing you need to know is that you deserve better than us. And then he points a gun at her. And she's like, wait, is this a goodbye gift? She's like, I didn't get you anything. He's like, sure you did. He's like, you're an insurance policy in case your mom's try to stop us on our way out of town. And she's like, wait, so the only reason you let me find you was because so you could use me? She's like, that's so manipulative, which explains why I'm so manipulative. Then the gun gets shot out of his hands. One of Daphne's moms is floating up in a boat, pointing her gun. She says that they've been onto him since he busted out of jail and 
and he put a geo through their daughter's window. The other mom is cuffing, is cuffing Daphne's real mom, and the others they're getting tied up by some other cop dude. And she says that you know they maybe they're not the best cops, but they're great moms. They always know what Daphne is up to. Um, the first mom pulls out an undershirt from his pocket. She's like, Brenda, huh? She's like, why does that name ring a bell? Daphne's like, it's one of the dead girls, and that's her tank top. You can see the stains from her boob contour. Darren's like, what? Carol, he's like, Carol found that shirt down here, and I upcycled it as a rag. Because, you know, he's, he's like, we only have one earth. A cop goes to snap a picture for some reason, and Carol kicks the camera out of his hand. When it hits the ground, a flash goes off, and a swarm of bats flies down from the ceiling. The commotion, Carol manages to escape. Velma's dad pulls up to the school, and he's like, Velma, he's like, where are you? He's like, I'm sorry. Also, be cool for once, and don't tell Sophie. Velma's knocking on Fred's door. He answers. He's like, you can't be here. He's like, father forbids it. Then she says that there's a secret lab under his basement, and she has to find it. Norvell screeches into the driveway. It is, I forgot what how what Norvell's problem was. But Dad comes out. He's like he's like, what's wrong? He's like, you've been ignoring my calls, and, and like I took you on a first date. Norvell's wearing sunglasses, like he's too cool for school. And he's like, a man answers his phone when he damn well feels like answering his phone. Lamont. The dad's like, well, Gigi almost died. She was stung by a bee digging her pants out of the garbage at school. Did I miss something? I don't know if I accidentally fast-forwarded. It's like, why was her pants in? I, I don't know. And he's like, and the nurse was out of adrenaline shots because they were used on Velma. Norvell looks at his phone and he sees several missed calls from Gigi. And he's like, oh, no. And then the glasses slide off his face. So I don't know if he was like trying to assert himself or whatever, but then he realizes he messed up. So he's in trouble. Velma and Fred are looking around the basement. It's like full of webs and whatever. Velma finds the lab entrance, but it's still closed. There's bricks in front of it. And she's like, if my mom didn't open it, where did she go? Fred's like, well, maybe one of the, this is one of those walls where you push a brick. And she's like, no, wait. He, he pushes a brick. They all fall on top of him. So I guess they were just sit, stacked on each other. Daphne's smashing crystals outside the mines. Her mom's come up and she's like, you really knew I was with them the whole time? Or was that just another lie? The first mom, um, I think her name's Donna. I don't know. She's like, the only thing we ever lied about is a dog. Truth is, he went to a farm. I don't know what that means. Daphne says that she knows that they stole her from them. Second mom's like, we didn't steal her. We just took her. So there's a flashback. Her her real parents are packing up a boat. And then Darren's like, we have to go. And there's you know not going to be enough room for all the goods in Daphne. Carol's like, okay, as parents, there's only one right decision to make here. The moms are, are coming up. Then mom, one, Donna, she's like, dang it. She's like, they got away. Then they see baby Daphne in a basket. So then Daphne's like, I feel like such an idiot. She's like, they abandoned me twice. Second mom's like, that's why we never told you the truth. It's like, we fell in love with you from the first moment we saw you. And we didn't want you to ever feel like you were unwanted for even a second. Velma starts to wake up. Her mom's voice is like, Velma, can you hear me? But then it, it turns out it's really her dad. He's like, it's me, the parent who only abandoned you emotionally. She's like, asked, she's like, how'd you find me? He's like, I can locate you like any good parent. And he's like, okay, Sophie installed it. So you, you never catch us in bed talking smack about you. He says that he's sorry he worked so much when she was little, but he did it because she always had her mother. But then she walked out on them and he wanted to be there for her. But 
it's too hard because he feels so guilty. So he hides it at work. And she's like, well, you wouldn't feel guilty if you just believed that mom was kidnapped. They go down to like the secret stairs. There's more webs in, in the abandoned lab. And Velma's like, footprints, people were just here. Then she finds a note, she picks up, and she's like, jinkies. Dad's like, why are you saying jinkies? Is this like when you try to make keep it frosty a thing? And she's like, no, someone wrote jinkies on a piece of paper. Ha, ha, ha. But, but why? Then a hallucination pops out of the paper. Y'all never know, Velma. She yells that she needs her dad to believe in her. He's like, okay, I believe you. The hallucination disappears. And she's like, oh, my God, that that did it. And then, psych, the hallucination's back. And she's like, it's back. Wait, were you lying about believing me? And he's like, he says that he, he wants to believe, but, and he's like, wait. He steps on, on the jinkies and paper. And he's like, oh, my God, you're right. She was kidnapped. I actually believe, believe you for real this time. The hallucination's like, he does? And she's like, you do? And then the hallucination's like, he does, no, and fades away. She says that her hallucinations are finally over. And Fred's like, are you sure? You said that you know, several times already. And she says that she means it this time because her father believes her because he loves her. And he's like, uh, yes. And also because Jinkies is written in, in your mother's handwriting. And so he like, he, she was just here. And Velma's like, Jinkies. And he's like, okay, now you're totally trying to make it a thing. And Fred nods in agreement. And then later, uh, after credits, Fred says that, uh, this is all about her dad believing her. If, if this is all about her dad believing her, how did making her laugh stop her hallucinations? And, and she's like, yeah, right? And she's like, or kissing Daphne. Fred and, and her dad are both like, kissing Daphne? And she's like, whoa. But the, the point is, uh, she's like, I don't know, but I'll find out. It would be pretty lazy not to. <laughs> It'd be like lazy writing if, if they just ignored that. Uh, but she's like, but come on, whoever has my mom and took those girls' brains out was just here. So the question is, where did they go? The camera pans over and the scene changes. I don't think it's like right next to it, but it's like the crystal mines. Carol's running like down the stream and she sees a gold necklace on the ground. She picks it up to look at it. And then there's someone behind her, like a large person with like a welder's mask and a knife and she just screams. So maybe her mom's gonna die. Maybe that's the real killer. So, so see, this is why as, as bad as the show is, you know, there's, there's still some things that I'm curious about. So we'll see, maybe I'll continue and we'll cover it. I feel like I have to at this point. We'll see. Okay. Then there's something wrong with the children. This is a, a Blumhouse production movie. So I was like, Oh, I got to see it. And you know, like, like I said, Zach Guilford is in it. And also, oh, my, my daughter wanted to watch it too. So I was like, okay, let, let's, you know, we'll, we'll check this out. Because you, you can only rent it or purchase it digitally right now. It's not streaming anywhere else. Um, the synopsis is, a family takes a weekend trip with longtime friends and their two young children, but they suspect something supernatural when the kids behave strangely after disappearing into the woods overnight. That's not quite what happened. Sort of, but whatever. <laughs> it starts out okay but I I wasn't super crazy about the movie. I forget what it's it's at on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's at, and I know it's at a five point zero out of ten on IMDb. It just uh, it, the, the kids didn't really do it for me. They they end up being more annoying than like creepy or anything like that. So it it, it starts off there's like che- che- cheesy eighties music interest. It's like weird. Um, so we see like this couple vacationing and they're like cabins, whatever. There's like this weird storm at night or something like that. 
but then they go on this hike the next day. Um, the little girl's picking flowers, and and I don't know if there's any significance with that because she does a thing like you know hold it up to your face or whatever. But I thought there'd be something with it, but I don't think there is. They find this like old brick building, and the the kids and most of the parents want to go in there, so they end up going in there, and then like the kids disappear, and then one of the girls, uh, one of the girls is like screams. The I think her name is Lucy. They they go and find them. They're they're fine. So there's like this staircase that leads to like a hole in a wall, and they're like, why would there be a you know a stairs leading to a wall? You know, so somehow the wall got knocked out. There's like this big cavern beyond. It's pretty um, deep. Ben Zach Gilford he like drops a stone in there, and he's like, yeah, sounds pretty deep. So then uh, someone I think one of the kids or someone says the place that shines. And then the two kids point in unison, which is like kind of freaky. The, and then the, the girl like spins around like when dad touches her and then she, and she has like a nosebleed. So they're like, oh, we better get going. But then the brother, Spencer, he goes back to the edge and Ben barely catches him inside. So he almost falls in there. And then his dad like, like picks him up. And then you, you see as they're walking away, Spencer has a nosebleed too. So something happened. That's, that's where the something happened. The two kids get close to the edge and what, what happens from there. So things seem a little tense between Ellie and Thomas. Um, there's a reason for I, I I won't give that away. Like what what's going on there? But then um, Alicia, so that's Ben's wife. She suggests that she's like, well, why don't we take the kids tonight, and then you guys can have some alone time in their cabin. So they end up doing that. But then uh, it's weird. Like Lucy, the, the daughter, she's just like standing staring at a bug zapper. So she's already like something's up with her. Uh, ben and uh, so Ben again, Zach Guilford, uh, his his wife Alicia, because they've talked about it's like, well, when you know, when should we have kids? Because they're saying how Ben is like really good with them, you know, he's like Uncle Ben, and you know, so when are they going to have kids? But you know, I guess apparently they're not sure, or whatever. So they're they're playing like some card game. It's kind of like kind of like magic, but it's like some other thing, whatever. Then Spencer's like, get over there, and Lucy tells Ben that he wants to go back. He's like, back where? And he's like, the shining place, the place that shines in the woods. Ben starts explaining that they don't want to go back there right now. You know, they have lots of fun things here. Spencer, like, he, like, hisses or something like that. And he, like, almost bites him. And then Lucy, like, touches his hand, like, gives him a look, like, hey, calm down. Then he normally says, sounds great, Ben. The kids go to bed. Alicia and Ben, they they start talking about whether they want to have kids and stuff like that because how he's so good. But he seems unsure. It really seemed like he's, like, the one that's really unsure. Because I, I thought that it was more on her, but apparently not, whatever. In the morning, you know, they, they get up and, you know, I think she's starting to make breakfast and they, they think the kids are asleep. They go and look, they're not in a room. So Ben goes, uh, they look outside, they can't find them anywhere. So he goes down the path in the woods to look for them. He runs to the building and then they're standing by the edge. Es brillante. Then he tells him, he's like, just get, get down from there right now. And they just like turn around and then they jump. Ben feels like horrible. He's like, so it's like, you know, the best friend, his two kids just died. He, I think, I'm pretty sure he, he looked and he saw them laying at the bottom. So they're, they're dead. So he, he goes back and, you know, he doesn't know what to do. I think he ends up calling like Alicia and, you know, or she calls him. She's like, you know, have you found him or whatever? And um, he reaches the, the, the parents or the, the cabins. He sees like the other couple, they, they come out and everything like that. And he's, how do you tell, you know, your kids just died and I, I was supposed to be watching them. And then the kids were coming running out of the cabin. 
So it's like, wait, how did they? How are they running out of the cabin when he just saw them in the woods? What's going on? And then it just kind of goes from there. The kids and keep like pushing things, like doing things, and like the parents don't see it. Um, then the parents like overreact because Ben starts like freaking out. Ben, you find out he's like on some sort of medication, like some manic depression or something, and they just like like turn on them like 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 nothing. It just goes from there, and like I said, the kids are supposed to be scary and creepy, but they're they're not really that creepy. Is they're just like annoying, and uh, I don't know. So there was a lot of potential here, but then it it just seems like the parents like really overreact. The parents kind of do some silly things, and and the kids again they they weren't really scary, you know, as they're doing their manipulative things around, you know, behind the parents' back and. Uh, I don't know. So it, it, I, there's obviously there's there's more to the movie. You know, things escalate, and you know you have to have your big conflict or climax or whatever. And how, what's the resolution? Is there anything? What, what's the explanation? How do you get out of this? And so I'll leave that. Um, I I'm not like disappointed that I watched it, but I I don't I I guess I just I really. Because when I first saw the trailer, I was like, "Like, oh wow, this this looks like it, it could be, you know." Besides Zach Gilford, who I, you know I, I like, I just thought that it it just looked looked better than that, and um, I was I was just disappointed. You know, maybe I got my hopes up. Uh, I I totally forgot about when it came out, but then you know, like I said, my daughter reminded me, and I was just like, "Oh man," so it was, I was just let down because. I really wanted more. I thought this was going to be like a really cool, you know, creepy movie. And it wasn't quite. So it was okay. You know, like the five out of zero, that is about right, maybe. I don't know if I'd do a five or if I'd go a little lower. I don't know. I just, I really wanted more and, and it was a bummer. But it's, I I mean, I, I hate to say it. I don't want to say, you know, don't give them money or anything. But I, I would... I would say don't buy it. Maybe rent it if you want or wait till it streams somewhere. But yeah, I was I was just kind of bummed. Okay, then the main feature is Infinity Pool. So this is directed by Brandon Cronenberg and it it stars Alexander Skarsgård and Mia Goth and uh it's just it, it's it's a freaky movie. And I mean, you watch a the trailer. There's there's some really cool freaky um, visuals. Like it's it's so Alexander Skarsgård and, and his wife um, M Emily. They're at this resort in some it's some it's a made up country. I think it's called Latoka or something like that. And um, there's this like festival that's happening, and like people wear these kind of creepy masks or almost like skin masks, like animal masks or something like that. And um, so the reason they're there is Alexander Skarsgård is this writer. You know, he wrote one book and he's he's kind of having some sort of writer block or whatever. So he's hoping to get inspired. Mia Goth comes up to him. She recognizes him and she actually read his book. And he's like, he's like really surprised. And she's like, I, I love that. I can't believe you're here. And then she's like, I saw you, you know, at, at the resort and everything. And then, then she's like, you know, you want to have dinner with us? You know, with her and her, her husband, I guess. And, um, 
so you know he he agrees and 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 they go and they they talk and everything like that and and you know th- things go really well you know they're having you know good good conversation and all that stuff like that but then they they talk about wanting to go outside the resort the next day but there's like you're not supposed to so the the thing is the the resort because of the the nature of this country and the laws it's like things are like really hardcore out there and like the the resort is all surrounded by fence and like barbed wire and everything like that, but they they're like oh come on it, you know it, it it's it'll be fine and everything. So the the other couple rents a car from you know one of the dudes somewhere there. They go driving. They go to the beach and you know they drink and stuff like that. Uh, and now I feel like I, I'm going too far. But then the thing is with with like Mia Goth, it's like you don't know. There's almost like some flirtation and stuff like that, but they're both married and everything. Because there's one point where uh, Alexander Skarsgård goes off to to take a leak, and then she comes up and then like does something, and it's just like, wait, what? What was that about? Um, and so they, you know, they're, they're by the time they're going to leave and everything, it's it's like nighttime. Uh, Mia Goth's like husband or whatever. He's he's like he's like oh I'm drunk and Alexander Skarsgård's like oh I'll drive or whatever. Two women are gonna like just sleep in the back because they're just like tired and everything. And you know, super long day of just drinking and whatever. He's driving down this road and stuff like that. And then like the the car's headlights, like an old car, the headlights starts kind of like cutting out. And he's like like flickering with the lights, like trying to like get them to work and everything like that. And he's, like banging on it. And then he runs into someone like smashes into it, you know, hits the windshield, hits some dude. They like freak out, you know, skids and, and he's like, stay in the car. They go out there and they're like freaking out. He killed someone. They're like, what did you do? What'd you do? And everything like that. And what could he, you know, there's nothing he could do. He couldn't see anything. you know, maybe he should have pulled over, but it's just long stretch of, you know, road. And, you know, because it's like on a mountainside, you know, along the, the side of the ocean or whatever. So then uh, they're like, we got to tell someone or whatever like that. And Mia Goth is like, no, we're not telling anyone because she's saying that this country has like these strict laws and they're just, they're going to go back and they're going to act like nothing happened. So whatever. But then they get busted on it. And it seems like they ratted him out because uh, uh, James, he he gets arrested and he's told that the, the, the crime or the penalty for his crime is that he has to be killed. He he's killed by because the the guy that that he ran out that he hit was like a farmer. So he has he can be killed by the the dead man's firstborn son. And he it's just like that. That's it. There's there's like no trial or anything. That that's just how it goes. But they have this. Um, they have a way of handling things where you can pay money. And get a clone made if you can afford it. And the clone, it's like a perfect clone. It even has like your memories and stuff like that. So they make a clone and then the, the whoever can kill the clone. But they have to watch. Like James' wife, she doesn't want to watch. And she's just like disgusted and horrified by this. And um, and it's like they even give you like the ashes like afterwards. Like here, here's a dead body. Here's your dead clone. It doesn't really seem to phase James so much, and then he starts getting pulled into it. And then, like Mia Goth and her husband, they they kind of like push him more and everything like that. Um, Emily, she just wants to leave; she wants to go back. But then his his uh, uh, passport's missing; he can't find it when he get, get come back because they were like at the police station like for like a day or something like that. So then 
things continue and she he ends up staying she gets you know they have this like kind of fight he ends up staying and does like some crazy drugs with them and and things just kind of go from there things get really freaky this the movie actually has one of those like epilepsy warnings you know the, the flashing lights and stuff like that i you don't I, I feel like you don't really see that often at the beginning of movies you know my theater will sometimes have like signs by you know when you buy your tickets saying hey warning this movie could cause you know whatever have harmful effects but yeah things get kind of trippy and it's things are just a little uncomfortable like stuff that like james does like it's like man you're you're crazy you're in this foreign country they got these crazy super harsh laws and you're just pushing boundaries and you don't it's like the risk you're, you're doing this is why like I would be afraid to travel to another country where like I can't speak the language or just I feel like you could just disappear so easily. You know, someone takes your passport and even like in, in National Treasure when when they ask for an ID, it's like, well, what if you just take the ID? Then you're 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 screwed. You know, it's like the it's their word against yours. And this detective at in in this movie, you know, it's like, could he be trusted and and so things just get all sorts of wacky and it's it's just like dark and freaky and trippy and um there's nudity and uh so this you know basically what i'm saying is this is not a movie for the family or for the kids but things just get really weird but there's some really cool like camera stuff like like where the the scene is kind of like rotating you know you see the water and it's like almost like flipping around and uh, it's it's just it was just filmed really well and, and you know I haven't seen anything else that that Brandon Cronenberg does but I am I'm super interested in anything else that, that he's done before or will do. Um, as far as the movie itself, I mean it was it's a good movie. It just made me feel really uncomfortable, just like stuff that happened. And so it's because of that. I can't say that I loved it, but it's a really well-made movie. You know, it's it's just that feeling where it's like, Ugh. and and not necessarily uncomfortable by like violence or the nudity. You know, it's not not that I'm not talking about that stuff. It's just like the feeling where it's just like it's almost like you get antsy a little bit, and it's just like, oh man, it's like, why are you doing this? Why are you getting putting yourself in this situation? And Oh man, and then the ending is just—I—I um, I, re- really think it was a good ending. Is a totally appropriate. And it just fit with with everything, um, but it's just like man, um, I, you just prepare yourself. I mean, it, this this movie is definitely worth watching. I hadn't heard about this up until like like a week ago, like a week before I saw it, because you know, like I said, I was planning on seeing Fear, and then. Um, Somehow I saw the trailer, and I, I think I, I saw it when I when I saw it, I always try to look at the list of movies, like see like what's coming out on, on certain dates and everything. So I saw the title for this, and I didn't know anything about it. I was just out of the loop. And then when when a, the trailer, a new trailer came out or something like that, and I just checked it out, I'm like, what? And you know, Mia Goth, you know, she was in uh, X and Pearl, and obviously other things. But like Pearl, oh my gosh, a performance was just you know she carried. It, she was like the movie was pretty much just her. So this is just a weird and freaky movie. And it's, it is, it's like, it's a, it's a trip. It's a journey. It's an experience. Uh, It's, it's definitely not going to be for everyone. You know, I I think some people aren't going to like it, but man, this movie was, was something it's, it's just, it's, it's it's kind of powerful. (sighs) 
but that's all I'm going to say about it. It's just, it's, it's something. And, um, after it, when I was, you know, walking out, out of the theater, I'm just like, whoa, like, oof. It's almost like, like not necessarily a punch in the gut, but it's like, wow. And, and you know, it's not often you, you feel that way. And, uh, it's like when, you know, when the, the movie, the credits start rolling, I, it, it was pretty clear there's not going to be any after credit. I don't know if there's any, any after credits. The, the app that I use didn't have the movie listed. It just feels like that that's it. There, there's going to be nothing else. But when the movie ends, it's like, okay, you know, it's, it's late at night. I should get home. Um, but it's like, I didn't want to get up right away. It's like, man, I got to just like process all this. So, so it's something, and I, I don't know, maybe I, I'm overreacting to it. You know, I, I don't want to set the bar too high or expectation or whatever, but it was just a really, really well-made film and, um, something different. And this is the thing, you know, we get so many movies that are sequels or franchises or reboots or whatever. So this was nice that it's something different and fresh. Um, it's freaky as hell, but. It, it's it's worth checking out so i i recommend it just you got to be in the right state of mind for it because you know it's if you're feeling down about something don't go see this movie just you know wait it's it, it's it's pretty freaky so i'm, I'm really glad i saw this i do want to see that movie fear i don't know when that's going to happen so so yeah that's going to be it so big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are super awesome supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And I'm currently talking about X-Men, The Hidden Years from 1999, 2000 uh, by John Byrne, uh, Savage Land stuff, Ghost Magneto, but classic X-Men. So it's just, it's fun to go back and, and there's just something about John Byrne's art. So it's, it's really fun to revisit these and, and they're on the Marvel app, the Marvel Unlimited. So you can read along with those or whatever. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck. And you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two. That is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. As far as next week's show, so, you know, obviously we're going to have more Last of Us, more Servant. Um, so Last of Us and Servant, you can watch those episodes now because I'm a week behind because of Windows Air. Uh, more Bad Batch, more uh, National Treasure, more probably more Velma. And then uh, the main feature is probably going to is definitely going to be Knock at the Cabin. Uh, so that's the M. Night Shyamalan movie with uh, what's his name, Drax. Um, I'm totally blanking on his name. And um, I'm really curious about this one. So if you haven't seen a trailer, definitely check it out. I mean, I'm, I'm super duper intrigued about where this can go. I loved M. Night Shyamalan movies. I know some people are like, blah, 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 you know, whatever. I, I, I just, I think they're all great. I loved old and I, you know, I loved the other ones, not all of them, you know, but I really, I like all of them, but you get what I'm saying. So I'm super excited for that. I can't wait to see that. Um, and that, that's that about it. So, uh, that's, uh, this week's episode. Um, I know things, I don't, I don't, I, f I felt like I tried going a little faster one, cause maybe that's a good idea, but two also just because this has been such a long week and I'm like so far behind, you know, just trying to get this done. So hopefully it came out. Okay. We'll, we'll see. Um, but I hope you are doing well. Hope you are surviving. I'm just trying to stay afloat. Um, make sure you take care of yourself, you know, don't don't overdo it like I, I do. Take some time to enjoy things. Do some fun things with other people. But most importantly, be good to each other. <laughs> <laughs>